Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Boy, to, to, to put it simply, a, a Stanley Cup contender got better. I mean, there's nothing to say Louis is a Stanley Cup contender again. That was Mark Parrish on with us just a couple of days ago alongside Alex Ferrario, who is looking very dapper today. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, let's start with this, man. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Suits mean game day, BK. Mason from uh, WIL walked in and he saw me and he goes, when I see you in a suit, I know that the Blues are playing. Heck yeah. That's how I'm going with it. Well, there is some truth to that. However, you also, if I'm not mistaken, wore a suit yesterday. That's true. Yesterday was not it's a game very day. True. Okay, so but I need to. Sometimes a- you just show up and you're like, you know what? I want to. I want. I don't know very many people like this, but Alex Ferrario is one of the very few who will just say, you know what? I want to look good today. And suddenly he just shows up in a suit. And it's like, all right, man, I got into radio so I could wear a T-shirt and jeans every day. But apparently yeah. you you didn't go down that path. I, I was telling Katie this morning when I left the house because she, you know, she always tells me, she's like, oh, you look great today. And I appreciate it. But when I put the suit on, she says, and I My go, fiance doesn't say that very often. I'm sorry. I'm, you'll get there. Once you get married, they start to say it more. No, but when she said, I said, I haven't worn a suit since March 11th or the last blues. I think March 9th was the last blues mm-hmm. home game. So I haven't worn a suit in almost a year other than like the occasional event. So it's like, okay, I'm going to put these on. But the other factor in this the last time I wore a suit, Alex, Ferrario. I would probably say um, your kindergarten graduation. Yeah. The, the last one outside of a wedding, the last time that I wore a suit, I legitimately don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Well, I, I put the <laughs> jeans on with the suit coat because it's, like, it's like in Step Brothers, right? Like I want my or Talladega Nights. I want yes. my Jesus to have, uh, you know, a tuxedo shirt on, but on the back got Leonard Skinner on it. You know, like I want my Jesus to say I like to party. Keep going. Whatever. I don't know where I'm at right now, but the excitement's here. The beard is here. Hockey's back. I've been here since 7 a.m. Let's freaking go, BK. So let's dive into things. We have a lot to get into today. Keith Kachuk is coming up at 1130. We've got the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, coming up at 1230. I'll tell you why I think the success of the offseason is going to come down to a guy that was already on the roster. We'll get into that coming up at noon. But I gave Alex Ferrario a homework assignment last night. I hate those. I said, Alex, I need you to do something for me. 
I need you to come up with the three things that need to happen yep. in order for the Blues this season to win the Stanley Cup. So let's get to this list. Alex Ferrario, what are the three things that need to happen this year in order for the Blues to win the Stanley Cup? I feel like I need like a, a drum roll or something <laughs> like that for this. Hold on, let me see if I can find one really quick. Get a drum roll. This is, this is big time, BK. Okay. Uh, nope, that's not, not the, that's not the nope. drum roll I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Okay, number one for me, and I was thinking about this last night, it's health. And I went to this because this is what hurt teams last year in trying to win the Stanley Cup. Colorado should have probably been everyone's favorite last year, but their goaltenders got hurt. Their defense got hurt. The Blues fell apart, not only from dealing with the COVID issues once the return to play started, but they didn't have an Ivan Barbashev who who was home with his child. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko, Alexander Steen, all of these guys hurt. This season is all about health, in my opinion. If you want to win the Stanley Cup, you cannot go deep into your depth by the middle of the season. You got to have everyone fresh throughout this season. And that means the big guys, Pareko, Shen, O'Reilly, Hoffman, Thomas. You need all of these core pieces to stay healthy. Who do you think is the most indispensable players? Because I think there's a clear cut, in my mind at least, a clear cut top two. I think top two for me would be Bennington, number one, because you don't have that backup goalie that you feel really comfortable with this year. Yeah. And then Ryan O'Reilly, number two for me. See, who would you who else would you have at the top of that list? Colton Pareko up there in a heartbeat. I mean, if you lose Pareko, your defense looks a lot different than what it does right now. The reason I didn't have him as the top two is just because I feel so good about the other guys. Right. And nobody else is Pareko. I'm not trying to say that. But you have so much depth on that side of things. I feel a little better about that. I don't think it completely wrecks your season the way it would if you like, I know they've got a lot of centers, but Ryan O'Reilly does so much offensively and defensively. Frankly, I I don't think you can make it far without him. And Bennington is, it it, it speaks for itself. Bennington is himself with Ville Husso. And for me, I'm the, I'm how you are with Pareko with O'Reilly. If you lose O'Reilly, that's a big loss without question. But I feel comfortable that a Braden Shen can plug and play in that Good spot point. because you got Robert Thomas in the center position, a Tyler Bozak. You have a lot of Sunquist can be a third line center if you need him to. If you lose Pareko, like you got a Nico Mikola, you have a Jake Wallman, a Mitch Rinke, but you don't have a guy who can play 25 minutes a night in every situation. You think those are the top three, though? I Oh, yeah. Bennington, O'Reilly, in and Pareko right now? Yeah, because look, if you, if you lose a Hoffman or a Schwartz or something like that, you did it last year without Tarasenko. You doing can, it now without Tarasenko. Doing it now without Tarasenko. You can win by committee, but yeah, I think those are my big three that you can't lose. Number one is health. All right. Number two for you. Number two is chemistry. And the more I think about this, BK, the more it is crucial for the Blues because go through the teams in the West. Colorado has the same team. Vegas, the same team. Alex Petrangelo is there now, but everyone else is the same. The chemistry is going to come easy with those guys because they know who they are. The last couple of times we watched this team and practice and scrimmages, the chemistry was still building. And I think it's going to be there. But if you want to win the cup, you got to get this chemistry from the beginning. You can't be searching for the chemistry January, February, and say, okay, we're starting to feel it in March. April's got it. May's got it. And then into the postseason. It's just, it's a, that's a slow work in progress. But if you can get this chemistry going in January and February, if you have Thomas Hoffman with this one-two punch, and then you got the O'Reilly and Perron factor and the Sanford and Cairo factor are, are clicking on all cylinders. 
What that does is that gives you the opportunity to bring Tarasenko back and just say, hey, we got this chemistry flowing. You go in there and find who works best for you. And the crazy thing, I was reading Jeremy Rutherford's piece on The Athletic last night. He basically put out just kind of random thoughts as we get ready to start this 2021 NHL season. And one of them was, what happens whenever Vladdy comes back? Where does he fit in? And he basically suggested when he gets back, when Vladdy gets back, he wouldn't be surprised if he's a third-line player for this team. And that's not to suggest he's the caliber of your typical third line right winger but as you said chemistry so important it's number two on your list of the three things that need to happen for the blues to win the cup this year yeah you don't if we get to let's call it march and vladdy's returning and you've got great chemistry between uh thomas and hoffman as you said well you're not gonna break that up right. to put vladdy on that line so the natural landing spot would be on that third line with tyler bozak and maybe zach sanford at the time we'll see who's ultimately there I do find the one that I would point to, though, is Thomas and Hoffman. Yeah. I was listening to Character and Smallman earlier today, and Randy had some concerns. Questions, I guess, would probably be the better way to put it. Some questions about the configuration within the top six. He basically said, I thought that it was going to be a little different in terms of the way that they went about it. He thought Hoffman would ultimately end up on that O'Reilly Perron line for defensive purposes, right? We now know... Hoffman prefers to be on the right wing. He wants to be on his offhand. Mm -hmm. That's where he is most comfortable. So I, once we heard that, I was less surprised that he ended up on that right wing, but that makes it all the more important that they have that chemistry because Thomas and Hoffman could have some liabilities defensively. They're they're not going to be as good defensively as O'Reilly and Perron. So you're going to need them to make up for that with what they do offensively. And that's where that chemistry comes in. And don't look at it as a third line, because I can tell you this. If Tarasenko's playing on that third line, it's going to be even amount of minutes for his line with Thomas and Hoffman with O'Reilly and Perron. He's going to be on the power play, so he's going to be getting power play minutes. Tarasenko plays the penalty kill. He'll be getting penalty kill minutes. His minutes aren't going to be 12 compared to 23 for O'Reilly, so don't look at it as a third line with that one. So chemistry's number two for me, BK. Number three, if they want to win the cup, is defense. and Goal um, prevention. Goal prevention, but more so defensive ability in their own zone and this isn't just like I'm not talking Justin Falk and Colton Pareko I'm talking everyone the reason people are so bullish on Jordan Bennington right now is because he had such a terrible bubble and we're going to talk with Darren Pantine on this week in hockey and I asked him this question why is the faith so low in Bennington and he said it's amazing to me because he's around all of these experts it's amazing to me that people in this industry say what have you done for me lately but forget what you have done to get you to this point and that's so true with Bennington Bennington in that bubble was bad he was exposed he's going to be important but if you want to win the cup this year the defense in front of Bennington has to be superb because you don't have Petrangelo anymore you don't mm-hmm. have Bo you don't have Steen you have to be as responsible as can be in your own zone to make sure that Bennington sees the shots that he's supposed to see and to make sure you exit that zone and do not turn the puck over so Winning the cup means you got to get out of the West Division. And to get out of the West Division, you're going to be playing one, if not two, of Colorado and Vegas. Those are going to be the two toughest teams you ever play right now in all of the in the NHL. So for me, if you want to win the cup, your defense has to be superb in your own zone. Forwards, defensemen, making sure that Bennington sees everything he needs to see. My number one 
thing that needs to happen for this team this year for them to win the cup is goaltending, goaltending, goaltending. Yeah. From the three one four, they said the same thing. Goaltending, 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 guys. That is the name of the game. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. What are your three things that you think need to happen this year for the St. Louis Blues to finish the season hoisting that Stanley Cup once again? I think it all comes down for me to Jordan Bennington. I think I know a lot of what to expect from this roster, man. There are so many proven veterans on this team. I don't have a lot of questions about Tory Krug at this point after all the reports that we've heard about him coming out of training camp. We know what Colton Pareko is. Scandella is a proven player. Dunn, Bortuzzo. We know from these guys what they're going to be. The top three lines we kind of know are going to be really good for the Blues. The guy that I have the most questions about, and this is not me saying that it's a concern, but questions about going into this season on what to expect because the gap between his play in the bubble and the play that we saw from him a year and almost two years ago now, whenever they were going into the Stanley Cup playoffs and ultimately hoisting that cup in 2019, The gap was so wide Mm -hmm. on those two versions of Jordan Bennington that I don't know truly what to expect from him going into this season. I still believe in him. I still think he's he can be a top 10 goalie this year, but he needs to be that in order for them to get to where they want to go. So for me, that's the number one thing going into the season. It, It has to be Jordan Bennington raising his level of play once again. Yeah, and I understand the Bennington fear factor right now, and maybe it is the optimist in me with Bennington, but I just I feel like if he was exposed, but I also feel like he has a different mentality this this offseason sure. than what he had last offseason. And of course, in that bubble, I mean, he was quarantined to get that training compared to what he's used to get. So he is going to be a very intriguing factor. But I think I, there are other areas I'm looking at before I'm looking at Bennington. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show today. We've got Keith Kachuk coming up at 1130. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber at 1230. It's 1114. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Coming up next, I want to hear from you guys on this. Do you still believe there's value in the Cardinals winning the division? Because based on all of the conversations we've had this offseason, I'm not sure that that is the goal anymore. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It sort of depends like what you're trying to get out of the season. And my view is if you win the division and you get to the playoffs and hopefully by October, the country will be a little bit less of a disaster. And we can have Cardinals fans in the games have pushed stadium. I think there is still value to winning a division, getting to the playoffs, even if you are unlikely to be the number one seed, because this division, I cannot stress this enough, is absolutely terrible. I mean, the Pirates are going to lose 150 games this year. The Cubs don't want to win. I don't think much of the Brewers. I don't know what the Reds are going to do. This could be... I want to say easy that's overstating it but this is a very winnable division for the cardinals that was mike petriello of mlb network joining us yesterday on the show basically saying hey listen there's still value in winning the nl central it still does matter if you can win your division 65780 is the air comfort service text line because i want to hear from the audience on this do cardinals fans still believe that 
Because I understand nationally why somebody would believe that there is value in winning your division. There, There is inherent value in winning games. That is the goal, right? We should all want your favorite <laughs> team to win more games, whether it be baseball, hockey, whatever. The stated goal of every season is to win as many games as possible, make the playoffs, and then hopefully win the title. Some would say that's the key to the game. Absolutely. Game. You play to win the, the game. game. And that is what the Cardinals should be doing going into next year. And I'm not arguing against them trying to win the division. But I do wonder, given where we are in the Cardinals life cycle right now, right? And it's this year, it will officially have been a decade since the last time the Cardinals won a World Series. I think we are at the point now where it is no longer good enough to win the division. I think Cardinals fans almost scoff at the notion of the goal is to win 90 games, win the NL Central and get to the playoffs. Like, no, the goal is no longer that. Yes, that should be something that you uh, strive to do. But that's like saying for um, Alabama, Mm -hmm. the goal is to win the SEC West. No, no, the goal is much higher than winning the SEC West. That is something that you accomplish on the way to the goal. But the goal should be higher than that. The goal should be, let's get to the NLCS. Let's get to the World Series, hopefully win it. But I think that at least on my based on my read of the fan base now i don't think just winning this division is enough anymore i agree let me ask the fans this question then and i'll ask you this as well bk what was the pulse of the fan base in the 90s in early 2000s because the last time if i'm not mistaken late 80s was when they won the world mm-hmm. series and then you went through the 90s which in all accounts again i was very young at the time but in all accounts i've heard the 90s were awful until you hit the mcguire stage where he was crushing home runs but even that you were spoiled by the fact of you couldn't see world series play not until what 2004 you got back to the world series so i mean again you went over a decade with no postseason play if not world series aspirations I feel like that time was different than this time now. That time was, well, at least we still have this, right? At least we still have McGuire. At least we still have Lankford. We have Matt Morris, Woody Williams. Throw the names in there that you want to, and then you get to Pujols. Now you're at the point where you can't say that anymore. You can't say, well, at least we have this. So that's why there's nothing to hold on to. So that's why I do think that there is some stock to be had in winning your division and at least making a push for the NLCS sure. because it's something to put your hat on. It's something that you can at least get behind. Whereas if you don't have anybody, if you don't have that, 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 that monumental player and you also don't have a team that's any good, then what are we doing here? How do you even want to support? I think it's the symptom, not the disease, right? And what I mean by that is the Cardinals fan base at this point is not mad about the fact that they're winning the division. Of course, that's the, everybody would want their team to win the division. Right? Going into next year, Dodgers fans want their team to win the NL West. Right. The Mets fans want their team to win the NL East. That should be the goal for every team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the problem is... It feels hollow. It's like empty calories. Yeah, it's great that you won the division, but there's nothing sustainable about what is being built. And you're not trying to do anything beyond that. All you're trying to accomplish is the division. Right. And so in the 90s, I can't speak to that very well just because I wasn't here at the time. But I, I would imagine that there was some frustration, but it wasn't about 
just reaching this glass ceiling every year. It was about becoming something more, right? Getting back to the roots of what the baseball was like in in, in St. Louis in the 80s. And then they got there. By the late 90s, early 2000s, you, you get into the new ownership group. You have Mark McGuire. You have MV3. And boom, you're off and running, right? From... 2000 through 2006 you go to an NLCS three times you go to the World Series twice like that that Mm -hmm. is where things start to really change and you could see that the aspirations had changed at that point and they're bringing in players to change ultimately what the results are that's not what's happening now now what it feels like is they're stuck in this rut of reaching a glass ceiling every year and not doing anything to change where that ceiling is on the team, right? It, it would be like I'm a runner, right? And I, I like running half marathons. I ran one marathon. It didn't go well for me. I felt like my legs were going to give out at, at the end. Um, if I stated a goal of, hey, I would like to run a three-hour marathon so I can qualify for the Boston Marathon, right? It's a great goal to have. But if I don't actually go out and run every day, I'm not doing anything to attain that goal, right? Right. If I'm just running two miles a day and I say, hey, you know, uh, in March, I would like to run a three-hour marathon. Well, how are you getting there? How are you actually attaining that goal? There's nothing that you're hitting in terms of the measurables that gets you to that point. That's what it feels like right now with the Cardinals. They would love to win the World Series. But what are you doing to actually get there? Mm -hmm. How are you attaining that goal? And it doesn't feel like I would imagine for a lot of Cardinals fans that they are actually trying to get there. Does it feel like, too, that you're just chasing your tail as a Cardinals fan? Because like it it seems what you just talked about, that that World Series playoff run, it was centered around Pujols and Mm -hmm. you built around that. Now it feels like they're just still they've still just been searching for that next player, that next Pujols, right? Oscar Taveras was supposed to be that guy. And unfortunately, what happened, it never worked out because he passed away. Then from there, you went into the Stephen Piscotty, Randall Grichik era, which was supposed to be. I don't know if they were supposed to be Pujols, but they were supposed to be the mainstay of that lineup. Now you're in the Dylan Carlson, Nolan Gorman situation. Does it feel like that they're not trying to get to that next step to push because they're still searching for that first piece? And that's why I feel like at least it seems like they're chasing their tail around and around and around, but they'll never catch it. It's interesting, man, because I think there's some truth to that. But then I go back to 2011, right? And you've got Pujols in that lineup. You've got Holiday in that lineup. You've got Berkman in that lineup. It's not like they just stood pat. First of all, they made the holiday trade the previous year, and so they knew that they had him on the roster moving forward. You've got a star to yeah. build around. Get a one-two punch. And Holiday at that point was basically the equivalent, not one-to-one, but basically your equivalent in that lineup of what you have right now with Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Well, when Albert left, they didn't just stand pat. They didn't just say, you know what, this roster is going to be good enough. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll figure it out. We've got young guys that we believe in. No, they went and signed Carlos Beltran. They went and made a big move for a guy that ultimately came in the following year and was 28% above league average offensively and was awesome. And oh, by the way, at that same time, they still had Yachty, who was in his prime and had a tremendous year offensively in 2012. They had a young Matt Carpenter coming up. They had Skip. They had a bunch of dudes on the roster that you still believed in. Lance Berkman came back the following year. So it's not like the cupboard was completely barren the following year. They didn't just rest on their laurels. And that's where I think the frustration comes in now. What is the difference between then when you lost Albert and now where, okay, you're trying to replace that star, right? Oscar Tavares tragically passes away. And we've talked about that so often since then that completely changed the trajectory of the roster. I get that. 
but eventually you've got to find a place to be able to plug that hole, right? You've got to you've got to fill that gap. And they tried to fill it at one point with Hayward. They tried to fill it at one point with Ozuna. They have filled it in some ways with Goldschmidt, but you're still missing that secondary piece. And they haven't done anything over the last couple of years to be able to fill that hole. And I I, I think that's where the frustration comes in is, okay, you're trying to win a World Series, but you're not actually doing anything to at- attain that goal. And so the division just feels hollow, especially given what's around them right now. Yeah, and with everyone, what everyone else is doing in the Central, you look at that, and then that's more of an excuse for the Cardinals to sit there and say, well, we don't need to do anything. Now, I don't believe that the Cardinals are sitting there and John Mosellock saying, well, I don't want to do anything. I truly believe they are looking for something, but it has to be the right mix for this season. But when everyone else isn't doing anything, that's the excuse of not having to make an effort, whereas everyone else just keeps getting better. You know you'll never catch those guys, so you can't use those as a comp. But again, for me, it feels like it's just chasing your tail with Albert Pujols. And to put this kind of segment to a wrap, that's why I do feel like the division crown is worth something because at least it shows progress rather than going the opposite direction. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I like this from the 314. Guys, winning the division is a stepping stone on the way to the ultimate destination. But if you only got a quarter of the way to your vacation destination, you wouldn't be satisfied with that trip. It's a good point. The Cardinals are going on a vacation down to Miami, but they only got to Nashville, Tennessee. I'm okay with that. Though. Great to go to Nashville. Yeah. I enjoy going I'm to okay Nashville. Nice weekend trip. But if if you were hoping to go to Miami, you you just didn't quite get there. And your your car ran out of gas in Nashville, and suddenly you're stuck there. Well, hey, look. Look at it this way. At least you're trying to get to Miami, and you didn't end up in Portland, Oregon. You know? <laughs> That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers. But coming up next, former Blues forward, the one and only Keith Kachuk, going to join the show on opening day for the Blues. That's coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Tonight, opening night for the Blues. We have this week in hockey coming up from 6 to 8.30 right here on 101 ESPN at 8.30. It is pregame time with the one and only Alex Ferrario taking you up until puck drop. All of that right here on 101 ESPN, your home for the Blues. Right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by former Blues forward Keith Kachuk joining us here on the show. Keith, we always appreciate the time. How you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. Just glad hockey's back. Excited for tonight. Absolutely, as we are. So uh, let's get your kind of 10,000-foot view on this team. What are the expectations going into this year, in your opinion? Well, I think they're pretty high. I mean, uh, we saw a couple of years ago, and there's not a lot of changes. Obviously, the major change was uh, Petro signing in Vegas, but you bring in a guy like Tory Krug. So I think the expectations are still in cup. I mean, it has to be. I mean, you're in a tough uh, division with Colorado, who's one of the favorites, and Vegas, who's the other one of the favorites. Uh, in the division and you know after that um, you know you have whatever but if you come out of that division it's going to be a lot of work it's going to be hard but you're in pretty good shape Keith you were a part of that uh, that lockout shortened season what was that like in terms of trying to amp things up and and get ready for the season to begin with very very minimum time to get ready and how does that kind of compare to what these guys are going to be going through 
Well, there's a lot of stake. I mean, it's tough. You know, you, you get thrown in, all the protocols you go through, there's going to be some things that happen that you've seen with other teams. But, um, you know, you can't, you can't afford, <clears throat> excuse me, to get off to a slow start. I mean, that's the most important thing. And you have to come out and, you know, try to, you know, hold your ground and try to be over 500 because if you're under 500, you're putting yourself in a bad situation. And so many games are so important. You're playing, what, Colorado and Vegas eight times each or whatever it is. So that's in big games. And, and you can't let the other games go, even though, you know, you should be in a better position to win. But um, it's important. And who's going to happen? You're going to have to use everybody, you know, back to back. You better have two good goalies ready to go. And um, there's a lot at stake for sure. But you can't start behind the April. The, the, the crucial. You know, the first three weeks here are very crucial. Keith, I know for playoff hockey, we always talk about how different it is than the regular season. And a lot of that is, of course, the stakes, right? But some of it is also the fact that you're playing series in the postseason. And we're going to see a little bit of that this year with the schedule. Starts right now for the Blues with basically a back-to-back Wednesday and Friday game in Colorado. How do you expect that to change what we see on the ice? Is, is there going to be a little bit more chippiness? What do you think it's we're going to see because of so many of these games being close with the series style that we're going with this year? Well, most certainly there's going to be a lot of bad blood. I think it's going to be chippy. It's going to be intense. Uh, you know, you might not see that right away, but eventually the more and more you play each other, I mean, you're used to playing what? Your division, uh, what, two or three? Or I don't even know how many times a year. Yeah. Now you're playing a meter nine um, for some teams. So it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a lot of hatred. It's got to be a lot of bad blood. And um, every game is so important, starting with tonight. Keith, let's talk about a guy that you're familiar with, Robert Thomas, who, if I'm not mistaken, he's moved out of the house, correct? Now he's on his own? Yeah, we finally got him out. Two years of free rent. <laughs> we had to let him fly. <laughs> well, And that's also because he sat in your chair. He should have known better about that, right? Yeah, he's a great kid. I'm glad he. Yeah, he was fine, but you know, he's, he still comes back here quite a bit. We all hang out. So, but no, he's. He, you know what? He, he's a good kid. Um, you know, he's 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 going to be asked to do a lot more than he has the previous two years, and I think he's up for it. He's so talented. He's a gifted skater. He got great instincts, and and you know, I expect him to have a big year. How much does that benefit a guy like Robert Thomas too, though, Keith? Of not only getting the confidence from the coaching staff of saying we're going to put you in a bigger role now, a top six centerman position, but they also went out and found him a winger who can score in Mike Hoffman. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great combination. Obviously, Hoffman is, is a great goal scorer. He he can shoot the puck, got a great shot, and. You know, the, the thing with Robbie is he tends to overpass. So Hoffman's going to have to be ready, which he will be. And, you know, I think that's going to be a lethal combination. And, you know, they should be. I mean, they're both two skilled players and very good from you know, the blue line in. So, um, you know, I wish Robert would shoot a little bit more, but he tends to pass a lot. But I think uh, Hoffman's going to love that. We're talking to Keith Kachuk, former Blues forward here on 101 ESPN. Keith, you have a little bit more insight into Robert Thomas than we do here from the outside looking in. I'm curious, when you watch him on the ice or talk to him off of the ice, where do you think the biggest growth has come for Robert Thomas compared to where he was whenever you first met him as a young kid? I think confidence. He's comfortable with his talent. Um, you know, I think what he went through the first year was simple. <laughs> yeah, not many people can actually go through that like he did. I mean, um, to be make the lineup and to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup and then doing at that age. And, you know, um, he was kind of spotted in the third line area. Um, now he's asked to provide what 
you know, what he can do best, and that's provide offense. And I think he'll do a good job. I think the guys around him really like him, and he's a talented player, and he continues to get better and better. He's going to learn, obviously, the Craig Berube way, which is, you know, you better check, too. You can't just be an offensive guy. You better play a both ends of the ice. And I think, you know, that's a learning curve for him, and I think he's starting to understand that and, you know, putting the work in and, to be an all-around player like a guy like O'Reilly. Uh, another guy, Keith, uh, that is going to be asked for an expanded role this season is Colton Pareko. Doug Armstrong has said that he's the alpha dog now with Alex Petrangelo moving on. You've watched this kid since he was drafted by the Blues and has grown in this organization. Does he look like he's ready to take on and accept that number one defenseman role? Uh, he has to be. I mean, first of all, the best thing about Colton, and, and he's a tremendous person. I mean, he's got the physical... Uh, ability to dictate a game. I mean, he's so like he's, he's he's large. He's in ridiculous shape. He can skate, and when he gets that fuse going, and, and he can play hard and be more, you know, tougher on the puck. He can be one of those guys that are, you just you can't find like a pronger type. And you know, <clears throat> I think it's important for him to take the reins, and I think he will. He can shoot the puck. He can provide offense. But he's hard to play against. I mean, he 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 very rarely gets beat one on one. He's so strong, and you know he's going to be thrown into the fire, play more minutes, and I think he's ready for it. Keith, who's the guy on this team that you're most excited to watch this year? Like wh- for whatever reason, whether it's just because you love watching them play hockey or you want to see what they look like this season compared to a year ago, maybe one of the new guys. Who's the guy that you're most excited to watch going into this season? Well, before we talked about Robert, I think it was Robert, but I would say, you know, Tory Krug. I mean, what he's done um, since he's come in the league, and, you know, I haven't been around much to rink because of certain protocols, but, you know, they're raving about his ability to make the power play better, ability to make other players better. He's he's a great puck mover, and he's going to add a little more offense, but the best thing for, about him is he's small, but he plays big, and, He's a mean son of a gun out there. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he adapts to this. And, you know, he's going to be a great addition to our team. All right, Keith, you mentioned the power play. You were a part of this power play for many years. You saw some phenomenal power plays on the St. Louis Blues roster. But when you look at this setup on paper, now with Jim Montgomery on the helm and Mike Hoffman and Tori Krug, I mean, are we looking at a power play that could be one of the best in Blues franchise history? I really hope so. I mean, because you need these, you need to be, you know, good on special teams to 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 win. So, yeah, those additions are awesome. And Jim Montgomery, you know, he, he's one of those special guys that if every team he's gone to has always been successful. So, you know, and, and this is without you know Tarasenko, who's the ultimate goal scorer. So, you know, when you have a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, you got guys like Tory, and obviously a shooter like Hoffman, and you got the you know Robbie Thomas Schwartzy. He's a greasy little guy, so much center. So David Perron has is, is got more skill than people realize, and um, I like it. Both power plays are going to have to be, you know, counted on. Um, because one day it's going to be the second power play that, that wins your game. The other days it'll be the first power play. But I like what I see from our skill guys, and they know how to score. Keith, the last question that I have for you, it it almost feels like old news at this point that Ryan O'Reilly is the captain because we all kind of just assumed that it was going to go that way. And then the announcement was just, OK, cool. Ryan O'Reilly, the new captain. Fantastic. Does anything change for him this year, in your opinion? Like when you get that C on your chest, what changes for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly? I don't think much will change. He's just one of those guys. He's pretty laid back. And he's a hard-working guy. I think that is contagious. 
with not just the, our team, but their younger guys on our team that really, he's almost like a captain, great player slash development coach, the way he carries himself. He does a great job of working with the young guys after practice, before practice, and all the intangibles. And then he showed that Stanley Cup year, and he's just, he's just a tremendous player, tremendous person, and you know he's going to be counted on to, to lead this team. But I don't think anything will change on his draft. He's not going to change the way he plays. He's not going to change the way he approaches the game. I think he's just one of those that's contagious, and everybody follows. Hey, Big Walt, before we let you go, I got to ask, what's the anticipation for your boys right now of taking each other on, what, nine times it's going to be this season in the Canadian division? Yeah, that should be really interesting. I'm uh, not looking forward to watching that. I can tell you that much. But <laughs> <laughs> it'll be it'll be a little bit touch and go for mom over here. She gets a little nervous when they play, especially when they play against each other. But it's gonna be fun. They're gonna piss off a lot of people up there, so I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for that, Keith. All the best to you and the family. We wish you guys all the best moving forward. We look forward to talking with you again soon as we officially kick off this blue season. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. I appreciate it. Take care, guys. Absolutely. That is Keith Kachuk, the one and only former Blues forward, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I I loved the first answer that he gave. The expectation, of course, is the Stanley Cup. I don't think it could be anything else. I think that's where we're all at at this point. It's yeah. It really is. And it, that doesn't mean it's a failure if the Blues don't win the Cup this year. It's not like a truly st- uh, Stanley Cup or bust, in my opinion, but it is. That's the expectation going into the season is everything that Doug Armstrong did in the offseason, everything that he's done now for basically three off seasons has been gearing towards winning as many cups as you can in this five year window. It's not over after this year, but this is a huge, huge season in that five year window where things change a little bit going into next year, potentially without Jaden Schwartz. Yeah, and I wrote about this today online, BK, but Doug Armstrong has done everything he can to put this team in position for that. And that's why you should have those expectations. You know, three years ago or four years ago, if I'm not mistaken, Jaden Schwartz was injured and you weren't sure if he was going to start the season. And at the time, Yarmir Yager was a free agent and everyone wanted the Blues to sign him. And Doug Armstrong didn't. He went with a uh, with a, a role player like a Scotty Upshaw and said, we're still building something and it's just not the right move at the right time. Well, now he's making the right moves at the right time. And that's why it should be Stanley Cup or bust for Blues fans, because everything has been put into place for that. It's just a matter of putting the product on the ice and the players know that. It's it's going to be an awesome season. I can't wait to watch. It all starts tonight. Blues versus Avalanche. You'll hear it all right here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game with Alex Ferrario at 830. We've got this week in hockey coming up at 6 o'clock. Plenty for you throughout the day right here on 101 ESPN to get you started on the blue season as well. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I am Brandon Kylie. Alex Ferrario's just geeked. Amped. Just geeked. Can you believe this? My, I'm looking at Mike Ryder right now. Ferrario in the break was like, yeah, you know, I was talking with my wife and uh, she was asking when I'm going to get home and told her probably about one o'clock. And Alex is starting up P90X. Yep, trying he, to get a little exercise in he's, me. He's getting into the workout mm-hmm. regime, right? God bless you. Good for you. Not smart. 
He's over here saying, yeah, I'm going to get home around one and I'm planning to work out whenever I get yeah, home. Yeah, that's okay. the way to do it. <laughs> okay. That's the, no, look, the only reason I said that was because when you do a post game, like you're amped up still, you're trying to keep the energy up. Mm-hmm. So you go home and it usually takes me about like two hours to fall asleep sure. because you're like up. And I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to go home, I might as well do that and wear myself out. But I'm going to be honest with you. This P90X thing is kicking my ASS and it is not, uh, it's not worth it. What are we told? Come on. Well, you know, Tanner's, <laughs> Tanner's sitting over there. I don't want to, uh, you know. I, I respect the fact that you were even willing to give that an effort. I tell you what, I'll take a video tonight of me attempting it when I get home. There is zero chance, zero chance that you are going to be able to have any, any energy whatsoever when you get home, much less to do a P90X workout. We'll find out. But no I can chance. tell you this, tomorrow is going to be interesting. We're going to see what kind of Ferrario I am tomorrow. Is oh, it a high I'm, energy or yeah, are no. you going to get like a no you'll bounce back on friday bk and ferrario you know 101 espn i'm not expecting a whole lot from you big guy <laughs> okay, I, don't, I don't appreciate that at all but okay i'm fully prepared for a very tired alex ferrario tomorrow i see a how deservingly we're tired ferrario he got it this guy got in today i think what 7 30 yeah, about 7 30 you're gonna leave i would bet probably around 12 31 because you said that there's gonna be an overtime tonight so thank you so, for that bk that is what a 16 hour work day and then you'll be back in tomorrow yep. early again i yeah. would imagine yep. yeah no it's it's gonna be rough for you big guy okay that's, so that's so, totally fine yeah. go to sleep then is what you're, you're saying you're the hardest working person at the station right now so it's dessert Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Mike Ryder took exception with the fact because, that I said that because Mike Ryder is going to be here with me all night tonight. We are both going on sixteen plus hours. I get it, man. It's a tie for first, okay? No, I win. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the six one eight guys. Did you see ESPN's rankings for each NHL division today? It seems like nobody is picking the Blues in any category. I don't understand it. What am I missing? Yeah, and you know. Look, I was high on this. I was heated with this yesterday, and I agree still that this should be at least a top two powerhouse team. But I understand the other side of this when you're looking at it because Anaheim is in a rebuild. Um, L.A. is in a rebuild. Like both have very high farm systems. They're trying to rebuild this thing into another cup contender. San Jose is kind of on the cusp of being good or being bad. Not really sure. So you have three teams that are going to be good, three teams that you're not sure about, and then there's the other two, Arizona, Minnesota, that, that's kind of up there. But the problem with this division is any of these teams from the style that they play can steal points and turn it in a four-point swing. Whereas if you go to the Central, yeah, Detroit can steal a game, but are we really going to think Detroit can go out there and beat a Tampa Bay Lightning? No, come on now. Are we really going to believe that, you know, a... I'm trying to think of some of the other teams in that division, but like a Columbus Blue Jackets are going to go out there and just run away with the season series against Nashville. That's so flippy floppy. But the teams in the West, in my opinion, can win any night because of how they play in the style that they have. I think that it is. I think it's less about the Blues and more about the respect that people have right now for the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. I think that's what's happening. And I think if the Blues were in one of these other divisions, you would have people calling them one of the sleeper teams. But because the Blues are in the division with arguably the two favorites to win the cup this year, right? that's what they're running into. I think they people view the Golden Knights after adding Alex Petrangelo in the offseason, a legitimate top five Norris Trophy candidate, and the Avalanche, who have arguably the best player in the sport, Nathan McKinnon. 
that's that's what's happening there. People right. think that they're running into a buzzsaw with those two teams this year. So I think it's less about the Blues, more about those two and, teams. And look, I I truly, if I were to rank them myself, I would put the Canadian division number one because I think they have a lot of good teams that are going to be fighting for spots. They got to play each other nine times. I'd have the West two, East three, and Central four because I just. I was talking with Joe about this. And again, for this week in hockey tonight, I asked Joe the team that is going to be a bust this year. And he said Tampa. And that surprised the hell out of me because they have a lot of good players, but they're dealing with injuries. I don't even know if Tampa's going to be the team that they were last year. Got Dallas in there, which you're not sure about. There's a lot of teams that are uncertain in, in Central. So I think the Central's weaker. The 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. I like this one from the 314. Guys, by the end of the year, who do you think will be the Blues' bigger rival? The Avalanche or the Golden Knights? Golden Knights. I, I The Petrangelo aspect is there. Pete DeBoer, who nobody likes in terms of head coach. I'm saying Blues fans. We've had him on the show, and he was phenomenal. But Blues fans don't like Pete DeBoer because of his time with the San Jose Sharks. But look, Ryan Reeves, Ryan Reeves is going to be a pain in the ass for everybody this season. He is going to wreak havoc on rosters, and he has gotten under the skin of the Blues a lot in the past. So I think you're going to see that rivalry really heat up, and I'd probably put that at a level of uh, what the Blackhawks and Red Wings have been in the past. It's not going to be the same because that's historic, but Vegas is going to piss off a lot of people. I really wish the Blues had a four-game series against either Colorado or Vegas at some point this year. They have one three-game set against Colorado in late April, but right towards the end of the season, the Blues play four straight games against Minnesota. I wish that was against one of either Colorado or Vegas, because I think that would be where you really see the rivalry come out. You know what's, those you know what's better than four against in the regular season? Seven in the postseason, because sure. you're probably going to see one, if not both of those teams in the postseason. I'm with you, though. I think it's Vegas. Yeah. And I think it more than anything, really, it has to do with the style of those two teams. Both heavy. And I think that's where you get it. Yep. So I, I and the, the familiarity between the two teams, as you said, with Petro and Ryan Reeves, I think that is the one. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is a friendly little bit of a competitive rivalry with Colorado as well. It's going to be really fun. Don't to watch be surprised this. if Minnesota gets under the skin of the Blues, too, because they're they're a chippy, scrappy team right now. And again, Bill Guerin's the manager. He's put together a team that's going to be playing pissed off this year. Last question. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax line. You have four minutes left in the game. You're down by four points. Which quarterback still playing in the divisional round do you want leading your comeback if I'm taking Patrick Mahomes off the table? So you're four minutes to go, four-point margin. You're down right now. You get the ball. You have any quarterback playing this weekend other than Patrick Mahomes. Who are you taking? Is it that quarterback with their team? You get the, that quarterback. You get that quarterback. In a vacuum. You know what, BK? Keep Pat Mahomes in there, and I'm going to take Baker Mayfield. No, you're not. No, I'm not. I'm going to take Josh Allen. I'm taking Josh Allen. Really? Yeah. Look, I get the fumble is making people worried in what he has done in the past. This guy's got a different confidence to him right now, and with the weapons he has, he he seems to be comfortable on the field. That offensive line gives him a protection. I know everyone's going to say Brady. I'm going with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's got a little bit to him right now that I'm I'm paying attention to. You're right. I am going with Tom Brady. Of course you are. Um, of course I, you are. You love Tom Brady. Stop it. That's all you I talk about. I legitimately don't know how this happened. How did I become the guy that is the Tom Brady yeah. lover? From it the doesn't 314. make any sense. Oh, BK's talking Brady again. What else is new? <laughs> 
Come on. This is this is ridiculous. Um, it's Tom Brady because he's the greatest player in the history of the sport. Unless Come he's got to throw a deep ball. He's been really good lately with the deep ball, actually. Um, I'm I'm going Tom Brady would be my first choice. I think my second choice would be Rodgers still. And then after that, I would probably go Josh Allen three. Just throwing shade at Josh Allen, putting people ahead of him. It's because you're scared of him. Okay, so I went with the greatest quarterback in the history of the sport and then the MVP of the season. The greatest quarterback (laughs) in the history of the sport is Josh Allen. Stop. Deal with it. I do think there's there's legitimate questions as to whether or not you would go with Drew Brees or or Josh Allen for that third spot. But that's neither here nor there. Who's ahead of the other? Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson? In that spot? Yeah. That situation down four, four minutes to play. Who would you take? I would take Lamar. Really? I would take Lamar. No confidence in Baker. It's not that I have no confidence in Baker, but I think he needs to be in the right situation with the right team. And if I don't know what the the surrounding circumstances are, like if I'm taking this guy and just placing him into the vacuum, I'd probably go Lamar over, over Baker Mayfield. I think Baker would be the second lowest rated of all of these quarterbacks. Behind whoever is starting for the for the Rams, that that would be the last choice that I would make. Maybe With Alex Ferrari, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the success of the Blues offseason, in my opinion, in the long term, is going to come down to a player that was already on the roster. I'll tell you who that is coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think Blues fans are going to fall in love with Tory Krug pretty quickly. Um, enjoying the St. Louis Blues, he's the guy that's going to really help on the power play. I mean, you're talking O'Reilly, you have David Perron, Hoffman's going to be on that unit. You throw a Tory Krug up there, that's, that's going to be a dangerous power play unit. That's going to be, um, he'll be paying off that contract just by running the power play. That was Patrick Sharp joining us yesterday on the show, former NHL forward. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So the offseason, in my opinion, is already success. Like what they were able to do, what Doug Armstrong was able to assemble for this team is pretty incredible. The fact that he was able to push pennies together and ultimately make about $4 million worth of cap space for Mike Hoffman is amazing. And they found a home for Justin Falk. They added Tory Krug to the mix on the left side. The defensive pairings make more sense going into this year. He did a great job in the offseason, objectively. However, in the big picture sense, in terms of the long-term view, I do think there was one player that was already on the roster that is going to determine just how successful this offseason is. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. BK is probably going to say Robert Bortuzzo or something completely irrational. Well played, sir. <laughs> That's probably the text that is of not the day. my answer. I do think it's Justin Falk, though. Okay. Because as you look at what the Blues did in the offseason, I think at least a part of the calculus, I don't know how significant of a part, but a part of it was we need to find a spot for Justin Falk to be able to get back to the player that he was in Carolina. And they found that spot. It's the second pairing right-handed defenseman with Marco Scandella. That's where he's going to play every single night. He's going to be comfortable there. He is not on the power play units, at least as of right now. So that is his role. He knows what it is. It is defined. It is very clear what they need from him going into this season. And he's a hugely important piece to what they're trying to accomplish this year and moving forward. Justin Falk still has seven years left on his deal. His contract technically starts starts now. Seven years, $45 million left on that deal. So... 
as much as we talk about Tory Krug, and I think that's going to be a really good signing for the Blues, it is also Justin Falk that is going to determine whether or not this offseason, to me, was a success in the long term as well as in the immediate future. Yeah, I think it's a good choice because when you look at the rest of the roster, it's pretty. it all makes sense. Justin Falk's the one that people question still. And look, like it or not, the narrative around Justin Falk was he's the alternative to Alex Petrangelo. Yep. I don't know if you look at him that way anymore because you've got Tory Krug. Tory Krug is technically the alternative to Alex Petrangelo. But you could have had Krug and Petro potentially. Yes, you definitely could have because Krug makes the same amount of money that Justin Falk does. I do think, though, that Justin Falk is going to look different this season. And what I mean by that is he's he's in his own role. He's not in this role of basically hockey purgatory of am I a left-handed guy? Am I a right-handed guy? Am I playing with this guy? No, his partner's Marco Scandella. And until something happens with Pareko and Krug, meaning that it doesn't work out or they look bad on the ice together, that's his partner. And if you look at the success that Justin Falk had in Carolina, and I've talked with the the play-by-play man, John Forslund, for Carolina for so long, and he said Justin Falk was the most confident defenseman on the ice in Carolina. And that was because he he was born born in terms of hockey there. He was drafted there. He was raised there. He became a man there. And then you get transferred to another team. You don't have that opportunity to do that. So I do think this season, it's not fully on Justin Falk's shoulders. But if Justin Falk doesn't pan out to be a top four defenseman, then you have major issues. Now, you do have depth, but... Is Mikola ready to be a, an everyday defenseman? Can Bortuzzo play in that spot? Can Vince Dunn play in that spot? What's Marco Scandella look like? It's a trickle-down effect. You need him. You, you need, need him, him because it, of that money. It's a trickle-down effect, though. Well, but look, with his money, if he's bad and you decide to expose him, you can try and bribe Seattle to take him if but it gets that bad. It's going to be tough. I don't think it's going to get to that point, though. I really don't. I really think Falk is going to be viewed as a top-four defenseman on this team this season for how he plays on the ice. But if not... It's a trickle-down effect, and it affects an awful lot on this hockey team, which will stunt the opportunity for a Stanley Cup. One thing that I'm really interested in seeing, because we've talked so much about how this is going to be an awesome power play unit for the Blues. The two power play units, both of them look like they are potentially special and have the ability, we'll see where they end up, but have the ability to be the best power play unit in hockey this season. Justin Falk's not part of those units going into the year, at least as of today. And in his career, that's where his point production typically comes from. Of his 65 goals, the last five years that he was in Carolina, 65 goals, last five years, half of them came on the power play, Mm -hmm. half of them. The other half, of course, came at even strength. So he's probably not going to be a guy that's going to get you 10 to 15 goals this year if he's not a part of that power play unit. So he's going to be judged almost entirely based on how he plays defensively. It's not going to be about being an offensive defenseman this year for him. It's about can you protect your own zone? Can you come in and be the guy in some ways that Alex Petrangelo was defensively on the defensive side of things right. this year? And he doesn't need to be Petro. I, I hope that he's not expecting himself to be that. because I hope he's, nobody's expecting him to be he's that. He's never going to be that. He, he's not that kind of a player. He's not at that level. But that's that's the kind of role that he's going to have to take on going into this upcoming season. And I hope he's up for it. I hope that he's prepared to do it. I think he will be, because if you look back at that bubble, BK, and that's what we're doing, like that's how we judge this team right now, apparently, as we look at the bubble with Bennington, Falk was your best player. Falk was the best player on the ice that wasn't uh, the goaltender, which uh, we know he struggled. 
But that was because of the way he played defensively. And look, yes, he's not going to be an offensive guy because he's not on the power play, which I do think he's going to get an opportunity on there at some point. I just don't know how. Yeah, it's tough to find a spot, especially he, when uh, Vladdy gets back. But don't be surprised if he jumps up into play more at even strength. I mean, he scores all those points because it's at five, it's it's power play time. But he's playing with Marco Scandella, who is a stay-at-home defenseman. Now, Scandella will jump up into play. He's got a booming shot. But Justin Falk, much like Tory Krug, is great at puck possession in the offensive zone and great at creating opportunities. So at five-on-five play, with whomever he's paired with in terms of the forward units... Falk's going to be that guy up while Marco Scandell is going to be that guy back. And you're going to see Falk in five on five plays. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line from the six, three, six guys. I think when the dust settles, both Tori Krug and Justin Falk are going to be paired together. It's an interesting point because I was reading from uh, Jeremy Rutherford's piece yesterday over on the athletic and he wrote about the defensive pairings and he was kind of thinking, you know, what, what is this when everything is settled? How are these pairings going to look? And here's what Jeremy Rutherford wrote. Marco Scandella is currently paired with Justin Falk. Dunn is with Robert Bortuzzo. Baruby has mentioned the possibility of Dunn playing in the top four, though. But Dunn and Falk are both offensive-minded players. Meanwhile, Dunn has played a lot with Bortuzzo. So they'll start out with Scandella, Falk, and Dunn, Bortuzzo. But I'd like to see a little bit more of Dunn in that top four pairing by the end of the season. Do you think we're going to see that? Like when, In your opinion, Ferrario... How do you think this ultimately shakes out? Or do you think it's something that we're going to see a little bit of shake up throughout games individually, much less over the course of the season? I, I think he's going to be there at some point because this is a this is a prove a year for DeVince Dunn. And it's not like he's going to become a free. He's restricted free agent after this year. So the Blues have his rights, but he's been advertised as a top four defenseman. I don't think it's going to be right away. I think it's going to he's going to get that opportunity if Marco Scandella or Justin Falk falters or if an injury pops up or if a day off is needed, that's where Vince Dunn's going to get that opportunity. But I do believe he's going to get that chance to be a top four defenseman because they, they believe he can be. And I think he can be, but it's just a matter of the opportunity. And right now you're going with comfort to start the season off. Keith Kachuk just told us that, right? You can't start off at 500. You got to start off full throttle and go from there. Vince Dunn and Robert Bortuzzo were a very good pairing for the Blues in the Cup Final um, two years ago. Last year, they were very, very good with each other as well. So it's going to start this way, but I would say probably around March or April, yeah, you're going to see Vince Dunn in a top six role because you want to find out what top that four. next... Top four, yes. You want to find out what that next step is. I'll be very interested to see how that ultimately shakes out because he's just... He, he brings a lot of the same things defensively to what you're expecting out of Justin Falk. And what I mean by that is just kind of what, what JR wrote. He's an offensive minded defenseman and defensively he's fine. Vince Dunn is fine, but we saw a few moments, especially in the bubble that were less than stellar from him on the defensive end, especially in transition. And so I wonder if you're going to do that, I would think you would want him with Colton Pareko mm-hmm. just because Pareko is able to make up a little bit more defensively for any mistakes potentially that are there with Vince Dunn. And then maybe you put Tory Krug with Justin Falk and have Scandella on that third defensive pairing. But even then, I just I like the idea of Krug with Pareko and Scandella makes a ton of sense next to Falk. I I like these defensive pairings personally. We'll have to see what they ultimately look like on the ice, but I think this makes a lot of sense. And curiosity has got me with Falk and, and Krug, though, because these guys did play World Juniors together, and they were very good together, creating a lot of offense. Um, a lot of that switching up is going to rely on how good they are defensively, though. Like, you have it set up that way for defensive 
first. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of Are We Sure? Coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of Are We Sure? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Are We Sure? Let's start with this one. Alex, are we sure that the Dolphins actually believe in Tua Tungavailoa? <laughs> I was reading through some quotes from a story in the Miami Herald earlier today, and some of the players for the Dolphins were quoted anonymously about Tua. Listen to some of these, Ferrario. Oh, this will be good. They said they were, quote, caught totally off guard when Tua was named the starter in the seventh game of the season. One of the players did. And another said that before the season finale, when players were informed that Ryan Fitzpatrick would not be available against the Bills, they were disappointed because they believed Fitzpatrick was a better player than Tua. Concerning thing to the players who spoke to the Herald is that they are not convinced Tua is going to be great in the future. The same player added he, quote, got frustrated when Flores told the team that uh, Fitzpatrick was not going to be available. Quote, we always think next man up no matter what. But I saw Tua as the next man up because Fitz was better than him. One defensive player said that he isn't impressed with Tua's ball velocity or arm strength or ability to make off schedule throws with plays with his legs. So he ultimately questions whether Tua will ever be able to match up with guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, or Deshaun Watson. Quote, those are the boys we got to beat, right? It looks right now like that's going to be a big challenge with Tua. So they're saying that Tua's ball velocity can't compare to Pat Mahomes. Yes, that that is correct. Are we sure that the Dolphins actually believe in this young man? No, I'm not sure. I haven't been sure about this for a really. This is like the... This is the algebra question that nobody can figure out. This is the variable that does not make any sense because you can't sell to us. It's the Doug Peterson method, right? Like you can't sell your team by putting in whatever his face was to blow the game. You can't sell to the Miami Dolphins and sell to the Miami Dolphins fan base that Tua is the next Patrick Mahomes for Miami when you pulled him twice in games for Ryan Fitzpatrick and they won those games, they won those games. So no, I'm not sure about this. And if Miami's sitting there at number three and Justin Fields or I don't think Trevor Lawrence will be there or Zach Wilson is sitting there. Hell, if I'm Miami, I might trade down and try and get a couple more first round picks, get a quarterback later and find yourself a wide receiver. But I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure at all. And I think that there are a lot of people that are speaking with a lot of confidence that Tua is going to be the long term answer there at this point. I don't feel that way. I understand that. You just drafted him and you should have a lot of confidence. And I know that it is early and we are judging him based on what nine games that he played this year. I get all of that. And all of those are fair rebuttals. However, this is a really rare opportunity where a good team has a chance to be able to take one of those blue chip talents in this year's draft. And if they are not sold on Tua, they should take one of those guys yep. and then they should see what they can get for two on the open market. Maybe you get a second rounder late first rounder in return. That's worth it. You're flipping your guy that you got nine games out of this year. You ultimately were right on the cusp of potentially making the playoffs with him as your starter. You did a good job in evaluating him this year. If you don't think he has a future of being a special player and you do think that one of these guys has that kind of talent in this year's draft, 
you make that tri- or you make that deal 100 times out of 100. I am absolutely not sure right now that the Dolphins believe in Tua. Are we sure, Alex Ferrario, that Andrew Benatendi isn't going to be a Cardinal by the end of the weekend? So MLB.com's Mark Feinsand reported yesterday that rival executives are telling him an Andrew Benatendi trade could happen as soon as this weekend. Ferrario, do you believe at this point that Benatendi is going to be a Cardinal by the end of the weekend? I don't believe it, although it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Boston and St. Louis have had trade histories in the past with that Alan Craig, John Lackey trade a few years back. Um, It makes sense because we've talked about the platoon player and he is a platoon player. He's cheaper than what these free agents are going to cost you. And I think he makes your lineup better. But I don't see this happening. I don't see this happening over the weekend. If this truly is going down, John Moselak hasn't given me any feelings that they're going to be in trade discussions for this weekend. So, no, I'm not sure about this. I don't see it over the weekend. I'm going to go optimistic here. I think it's going to happen. You're going the optimistic route? I'm going optimistic, What Ferrario. the hell just happened? I don't know. I'm playing a role reversal here. <laughs> Why not? You know what? Why not? And so yesterday on our on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 101 ESPN, we got some questions about, hey, why is BK always bringing up these platoon outfielders? I don't get it. Why is he always talking about platoon guys? Don't we want a really good outfielder who can play against righties or lefties? Sir? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I would love to have the Cardinals go out and get a a George Springer type. Would be more than happy to have that. It's just more expensive to sign those guys. Yeah. George Springer's going to get $100 million from somebody. And they ain't spending that. They're not spending that. So I'm trying to be a little bit more realistic in my approach. And guys that are platoon outfielders are cheaper. So that's one part. The other thing is it's a way to maximize what you already have on the roster. Mm-hmm. You currently are missing a left-handed outfielder who, who hits lefty, who mashes right-handed pitching. You have a guy in Harrison Bader that is tremendous against left-handed pitching. I know that sounds strange, but that dude is awesome against lefties, and he's terrible against righties. So it's a natural fit, right? You find a guy that's a lefty that can mash righties. You play him against the righties. You play Harrison Bader against the lefties. Boom. Between the two of them, you now have one good player in your outfield, right? Hold on. You're being optimistic here? I am, yeah. Oh, okay. Because you get you get that good player in center field. You also have what you believe is going to be a good player in Dylan Carlson. At least two of your three spots every day you feel good about in the outfield. So that's why I go about this route. And one of the guys that is right now available, it appears, is Andrew Benintendi. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals, especially especially if they are willing, the Red Sox are willing to take on Carlos Martinez's contract. They need pitching. Carlos still has some upside. That's the way that I would make that. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Are we sure Andrew Benintendi won't be on the Cardinals by the end of the weekend? I am not. I think that it is very possible that that ultimately happens. Look at happens. this guy. I've got, some, I've got some optimism in me as well. It's just rare we see it, but maybe it's because it's Blues game day. That's what it is. That's right. That's I've the got optimism. the glow yeah. in me. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. All right, Ferrario, are we sure that Eric Bieniemy is going to be a head coach at the end of this cycle? There was a report that just came out from Matt Miller, previously of Bleacher Report, who said he's been texting with an NFL source this morning who thinks there's a very strong chance Eric Bieniemy is not hired for a head coaching opportunity this cycle. 
The source to Matt Miller cited concerns about Andy Reid's coaching tree and timing because the Chiefs are expected to make another Super Bowl run. Eric Bieniemy, the current offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. So the only reason he's not going to be a head coach is his decision. No, he says that it, there is concern among other teams that Bieniemy, um, because of Andy Reid's coaching tree history and because of the timing of the Chiefs making a potential Super Bowl run, he can't be hired until he can't be interviewed actually until after I thought he's been the Chiefs are eliminated though. by some teams. He has like the Eagles have not interviewed him. The Texans, <laughs> well documented, have not yes. interviewed him yet. Right. The coaching tree thing is weird. Yeah. What? It, well, Why so what's is there the coaching concerns tree? about the coaching tree for Andy? What's Reed? the coaching tree that hasn't worked out? Because if I'm concerned about a coaching tree, it's Bill Belichick's coaching Absolutely. tree. So Sean McDermott is a great coach. Yep. He was a previous Andy Reid disciple. Uh, Ron Rivera was an Andy Reid disciple. He's a good coach. Both in the playoffs. John Harbaugh, Andy Reid disciple. Both in the playoffs. He's a good coach. Doug Peterson. I understand uh-huh. how it ultimately went, but he did win a Super Bowl. You know, there's something to be said. Okay, for that. so Philly is concerned about the. Andy Reid. Maybe that's tree. it. Look, I'm I'm sure he's going to be a head coach this next NFL season. The only way that Eric Bieniemy is not is if he wants to stay in Kansas City and just keep winning Super Bowl rings. It's the only way that I would imagine he's not going to be a head coach because he's been interviewed by the Falcons. He's been interviewed by the Lions. He's got like five or six more interviews on the table right now. If you're him and you want to be a head coach, and it was widely discussed last offseason that nobody hired him right like nobody hired him and he would be the first current african-american head coach correct because there's no other current ones right now Uh, i don't know mike tomlin oh duh okay well and brian flores they talked about it an awful lot though in the offseason of why he wasn't there haven't been many hires outside of yeah but mike tomlin and flores are correct yes but i'm i'm sure he's going to be a head coach this upcoming season i hope that's right I have some concerns at this point, given how many rumors have been out there over the last couple of days. It seems like everything's trending toward the answer being no. Um, But the entire AFC playoff field at some point, their coach, their current head coach coached under Andy Reid. These these concerns are insane. I mean, at some point, I, I, I. He's a good coach. Like, this is crazy. It's crazy to me that we're actually still in this cycle. Yeah. But, um, it's it's very surprising to me that he is not as ultimately going to get an opportunity. I, I, I'm not sure that he's going to be a head coach this offseason. And I think that's a I think that's a mistake by these teams out there with Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, it is opening night for the St. Louis Blues. You'll hear all the action right here on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on Blues game night. Let's talk to the voice of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus Avalanche on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber, how you doing today, my friend? BK, doing good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Are you excited to have Blues hockey back in your life officially? <laughs> uh, I am. It's going to be fun to do that game tonight. And I always just love to see how after all the practices, things just shake out when the puck drops and everybody has to kind of do it for real amidst the chaos of another team. What is the number one thing you're looking for tonight, Kerbs? Uh, Just energy. Uh, I think after what we saw from the bubble in 
in August that the team wasn't as prepared as they need to be. And, and I think a big chunk of that is going to come in the form of energy. I think knowing the opponent's going to be a big help from there. Uh, they know that they're going to need to be revved up to play this game. But I, I think the ongoing challenges of the road and and not a lot of fans and things like that, energy is going to be key. And I think if they bring that, they'll be fine. Do you think these guys are pissed off about what happened in the bubble last year, Curbs? I, I mean, we'd heard, we've heard them talk an awful lot about how it ended poorly, they're not happy about it, and they put that effort into these practices so far. But do you feel like there's going to be a little extra edge tonight because of that bubble play? You know, I think there was a feeling like they let each other down uh, at, with what happened in the bubble. I think that they look back at it and think, man, we, we really missed an opportunity there. And and the, the sense that I get from guys is there's a real eagerness to redeem that. And again, I think it's, it's about themselves and, and just redeeming it to themselves. But I think they've learned from that. I, I, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Alex, that they have come into this uh, camp and stuff a lot hungrier and just with a little extra fire in their belly. We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I we talked a little bit ago about Justin Falk and what he's going to mean to this team this year. Not on the power play units right now, but he does finally have that one spot that he's going to be, that second pair defenseman on the right side. How important do you think it's going to be for him to have that role going into this season? And what are you expecting from Justin Falk? I, I think it's absolutely huge. I think one of the things that impacted his game last season was that he really didn't have a home, he, whether it was the top pair, the second pair, the third pair, the left side or the right side. And sometimes it, it seemed like that would happen over the space. If not just one game, two games, he'd have been in every one of those spots. I think the fact that he knows he's got a role, he's got a position, he's got a set thing, really makes it easier. I mean, we, look, we've seen how many times in sports where once, once a player really knows just the role they're going to play and they, they prepare for it, the success they have there. So I, I think he was hard on himself after last year. I don't think he made the excuses that we may make for him because of that. Uh, he just says, I needed to play better, and it didn't happen. And I think he's had a very solid camp, and I think he's a real – like he, he's a he's a real, you know uh, – key piece i think to to the the real glue of how this defensive uh grouping can shake up you know Kirk, speaking of role players a guy that we've talked about a lot um at least we did on that scrimmage that you myself and joe vitale were on is kyle clifford and it's a guy i think that people should be talking more about this was an off-season addition that doug armstrong took the pulse of the team to find out what they were lacking and a lot of those guys talked about how they missed that physical presence that pat maroon provided are we undermining what Kyle Clifford is going to bring to this team this season? No, I, I think it adds a real uh, dimension to the team. It adds experience. It adds a guy that's won two Stanley Cups. It's hungry for a third. He knows the exact role he's going to play. I think the fact that you know he joins us this year, it's it's very fortunate. And then the Blues end up in the Western Division with those sizes, so he's not going to be afraid to mix it up. And look, when you when you've got a team that's flat or that might be flat for whatever reason, doesn't have the extra spark, schedule, travel, life, whatever it is, um, somebody like that at the right time of the game can really help light a spark. And that's something that the Blues didn't have. And, yes, you can talk about team toughness. There's Bortuzzo. There's Shen. There's other guys. But – it, it's hard sometimes to do it in the role and with the ice time that, that some of those other guys are expected to do. And, and they do do it from time to time, but 
I think it's one where if you have a guy that knows that that's the gig, again, knowing your role, that's a huge part of it. I I think it's going to be overshadowed a little bit because of the crew signing, obviously, then the addition of Hoffman, you know, the return of Tarasenko, hopefully at some point, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think that that was a fantastic, fantastic signing to fill a specific need. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN curbs. One thing that we've talked a lot about in recent days is having to build that chemistry as quickly as you can. Cause it was a, a very brief training camp for these guys, no preseason games, just the two scrimmages from what you've seen, what you've heard around the team thus far, how do you think that chemistry is coming specifically between a guy like Robert Thomas and his new wingmate, Mike Hoffman? Yeah, I think that's going to take a little bit of time to grow, uh, but I think it's grown there. I think if you saw the scrimmage from the other night, from Sunday night, when when Hoffman passed it over to Thomas and Thomas is right in the slot, you'd almost go, that's where you'd like to see Thomas really start to fire the puck and shoot it. But what he did is he just one-touched it right back to Hoffman and Hoffman one-timed it in in a classic Mike Hoffman-type goal. So I, I – you know, I've talked to Vladimir Tarasenko about this and whatever. And he goes, you know, everybody sometimes want me to shoot more and shoot more. But if I think that my teammate is in a better shooting spot than I am and has a better chance to score, even though it looks like I'm in a good position there, I'm going to pass it back to him. And that's what Thomas did. I think there's a few things. I think Mike Hoffman still has to get used to this style a little bit. I think the expectations, the demanding style, the right side of the puck style of Craig Berube is something that, He's had so he hasn't played in a system where that has been the consistent play from the top of the lineup to the bottom. So I think there's going to be some adjustment to that. But I, I think you've definitely seen some of the chemistry start to go with those two guys. And Jaden Schwartz will be a big key there. If, if, if Jaden Schwartz can get off to a hot start, and I really hope he does, just for his own uh, personal sake, I, I, I think that line can be a, a real spark because it has some tremendous speed for this team. Hey, Curbs, we uh, we just talked with Keith Kachuk last hour, and we were talking with him about Robert Thomas and having that line made of Mike Hoffman, and he said that you know Hoffman's going to get plenty of passes. like He's going to love that, but he also talked about how Thomas needs to not be so selfless and start shooting the puck a little bit more. And Craig Berube has talked about that. And Thomas talked about how he worked on that in the off season. Do you think we're going to see the evolution of that from Thomas this season of beginning to be more of a sniper just as much as he is a playmaker? Well, I don't, I don't know that a leopard changes his spots. If the guy is thinking that he is more of a playmaker and that's his comfort zone, that, that that's what he's going to be. But the, the the point that the guys are making is that if they can get him to shoot the puck and he's got a good enough shot, it's going to open up more of the passes for him. So I think sometimes teams have been able to kind of key in a little bit and maybe let up on Robert Thomas just a hair because they think he's going to pass the puck. Well, instead of passing, if he dumps that shoulder down and drives a net a couple times, or if he fires a few shots and gets a few in, they're going to have to play the shot. And when they play the shot, that's going to open up that tremendous skill he has to dish the puck. So, I think it's the continued evolution of an overall all-around hockey player, but I think it's a critical part for him to be able to continue to to keep passing and playmaking the way he is, is he's got to shoot the puck to help create that space. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, last question that I had for you today. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, who do you think at the end of the year, in your opinion, uh, uh, between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights, who do you think that most Blues fans will view at the end of the season as the bigger rival 
for the Blues in 2021, Colorado or Vegas? I think it's going to be Vegas. I think the Ryan Reeves, Alex Petrangelo factor is is just that big. Uh, you know, the Blues have played so well against the Vegas Golden Knights, and you know, Vegas got got them a little bit last year. But again, it's overtime games. It was that comeback game? So I, you know, I, I think that uh, I just think that there's a little bit of extra nastiness there. Um, if I had to rank them, so I think I think it would be Vegas and then Colorado. He's Chris. Uh, Kirk. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. You know, the other one that could get nasty is L.A. That's another one that could get nasty. Why so, Curbs? Well, I just, you know, you've got Drew Doughty on there. They've still got some size. Uh, that's always just a tough place to play and, and go into. And, and and no matter whether the Blues have been down or the Kings have been down, uh, there just seems to be a little edge when those two teams play. I'm, I'm looking very forward to that one, actually. We're looking forward to all of it. You're going to hear the action with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale on the call right here on 101 ESPN. ESPN. The Blues are officially back. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. Looking forward to hearing you guys on the call tonight. Thank you, Brandon. And uh, for all the, the, the fans out there, a little happy game day. We, we just dropped a new podcast uh, on Podcast One. It'll be up on iTunes and Spotify probably over the next few days, but uh, called Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. So we, we, we break down a whole bunch of St. Louis Blues stuff. So fans want to check it out. It, it launched today. Very cool. Cur- game day. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber to find that. Curbs, thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Talk to you later. You got it. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we are going to dive into the junk drawer right here on BK and Ferrario. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Just announced coming up at 415, John Hamm is going to be on with the fast lane. Oh. Looking forward to that. The big guns coming out today on the fast lane. John Hamm will join the guys coming up at 415. Looks like Anthony Stelter pulled off his celebrity card. Yeah, that's that is certainly who booked that one. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. I was watching a little college basketball last night, Ferrario. Over on the SEC Network, Ole Miss versus Florida. And you know how they send it over to the studio anchor, right? For some highlights, especially right before halftime to give a little bit of a preview as to what's coming up at halftime, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that is what they did. Tom Hart, local legend, a Columbia, Missouri native, SEC Network um, play-by-play guy. Does a little bit on ESPN for baseball as well. I think he does a fantastic job. He sent things over to the studio um, host Peter Burns, who I also think does a really, really good job. Well, but here's what happened whenever he sent it to Peter Burns and Peter Bar- Burns was getting ready to send it back to the play by play guy. Now, I kind of want to know a little bit more about Tom Hart's dog, Larry. Actually. Mm. Well, we had to put him down a few weeks ago, Peter. Thanks for asking. <laughs> oh, 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 my God. So let's hear this one more time. No. Because it makes my skin crawl a little bit. No. So Peter Burns is the first voice that you hear. He is the studio host. He is getting ready to throw it back to the play-by-play voice, Tom Hart. And he is trying to make, you know, that that conversation, that quick back and forth that you can have Which a little quick at the end. Which is always so brutal. Always awkward. Typically, it's just back to you, Tom. <laughs> he tried to make it a little bit more energetic. Don't banter. Here's what it sounded like. Now, I kind of want to know a little bit more about Tom Hart's dog, Larry. Mm. Well, we had to put him down a few weeks ago, Peter. Thanks for asking. 
I kind of want to know a little the bit more about Tom's dog, Larry. Well, mm, we had to put him back down a couple of weeks ago. This sound is what does it. Mm. <laughs> Just the... Mm. You know what this is? This is the equivalent of being out in public and seeing somebody and thinking, oh, they're, they're, you know, congratulations on your pregnancy. Yep. I'm not pregnant. Yep. Okay. What are you doing? You remember the Southwest commercials, Want to Get Away? Yeah. Where it was just like the most awkward, uncomfortable thing that could possibly happen yep. took place. And then you could see the look on their face where they just go ghost white. It's like, want to get away? That was this moment for Peter Burns. Peter Burns wanted to be anywhere in the world other than in that studio at that moment I, when he said that. I can't get over the sound. Mm. 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 No, I don't want to tell you about that. I bet you for the next three months, Peter Burns is never going to have any sort of conversation piece throwing it back to whoever he's talking to. He had to have been a little pissed off, too, because listen to the end of it. Peter, thanks for asking Peter, thanks for asking. You don't really follow up something like that by saying thanks for asking if you're not ticked off at what he just said. Just brutal. Ferrario, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer? Speaking of brutal, BK, um, I went through a brutal process these last couple of nights. Okay. And everyone knows that my wife is pregnant. She's 32 weeks along now. We're eight weeks away from the birth of our first child. So we're doing these pregnancy prep classes and the in-person classes were unavailable. They were sold out. So we're doing these virtual ones where we're online. We're watching these videos that help us with everything. I am very thankful that these are online because they are going through everything that happens with this pregnancy process and color me white with this. Talking about like the delivery process. This is from the moment where she's starting to have contractions to the moment the baby comes out and you guys go home. The contractions part already stresses me out. And I know nothing about any of this because I I do not have a child. Welcome to the club. A 15 minute video doesn't really help you in all of these areas. I don't understand the contractions part because what happens if I'm not there and she starts having contractions? Well, that's not going to be great for me. And then we when you get there, man, I found out about these epidurals that they the shots sure. that basically numb the woman from uh-huh. the waist down, or I think they said from the breastplate down. They got to hit it on the actual nerve. Mm-hmm. And this needle is like the size of your index finger. They got to hit it on the nerve. And if they miss it, well, guess what? You're going to do it again. Yep. But if they don't hit the actual spot by the time the epidural is needed, well, you're just going to go through a natural birth with this one. I can't handle this. And while we were talking about this, I'm, you know, my wife and I are joking around and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to be able to to not pass out in here. She goes, if you pass out and I have to do this by myself, we're going to have problems. And I don't frankly blame her for that. I feel like you're the one that is having a bigger issue with all of this stuff than your wife is. I am. And I asked her that, too. I go, aren't you, like, stressed out because, like, a human is going to be coming out of you and you're going to have to be getting these Women shots? are superheroes, man. They you got to understand this. And, and I looked, and she, and my wife does not do well with needles. She does not do well with medical stuff. And she's like, well, I just figure it's what we got to go through to have a baby, and I'm okay with it. Like, you are a you are a god when it comes to this. So just from the fact of getting to the hospital and taking this needle and then on top of it, BK, I am ultimately stressed out, and I don't know if I'm going to make it through this process. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We need all of your advice 
for Alex Ferrario? All of it, because I have nothing for him. I can do nothing for Alex Ferrario on this side of things. Now, if he needed something for grilling, he knows not to come to me. If he needed something when it comes to changing a tire, he knows not to come to me. This is even worse than either of those two things, because at least I've seen somebody change a tire before. I've called AAA and they come out and they get the job done for me. I can tell you roughly how it goes, even though I can't do it. I know nothing about the baby delivery process. I got nothing for you here. What is the thing that you are the most worried about going into this, though? Well, the epidural is the first one, because, like, I am so worried for them, like, having to stick this needle into my wife. But I'm also very worried about being in that room when this happens. I've had multiple people tell me, BK, oh, you need to watch this process happen. It's the miracle of life. And I get it. That's incredible. But if I have to watch a human come out of another human, I will pass out. So I can't do that. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle being in this operating room. And I sound like such a wuss right now, but I am like, I'm sweating talking to you about this. 65780 is the air comfort service sex line from the 618. Frenario, bro, the epidural was the only thing that really did get me during the whole process. I wish you all the best, man. Oh, see, that's that's what I'm worried about. If they like don't because we were talking to Stalter about this in, in the room the other day. And he told us that the, the horror story his wife, Kristen, went through where they didn't hit it on the first time. And then they had to do it again. And the text line says that apparently they make the husbands leave the room. Yeah, somebody else said, if she does get the epidural, do not watch. I did, and they had to call the nurses because I passed out. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. They have told me that if, if the husband passes out in the operating room, they will legitimately just push me aside. Well, yeah, they've got other stuff they got a baby to worry to. about. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm so concerned over all of this. Like and then and then they went through the process of what happens when the baby actually comes out and they have to like, you know, make sure that the baby's breathing. OK, the heartbeat's OK. There's like a list of 15 things that the doctors do. And I'm like, oh, so you don't even stop worrying when the baby comes out. Our text line is is it is up. it killing it? Do not. And I repeat, do not laugh if she bleeps herself during the delivery. Yes, that's something my wife is very concerned about, too. That and throwing up on the operating table. Keep your head down and shut up. Only speak when spoken to you'll be fine if you hold on to those uh important truths okay that's a good one oh i need all of these keep your head by your wife's head watching will make you pass out hashtag been there done that before do you keep the eyes on the doctor the whole time or do you like just stare at your wife the whole time i because i don't know if i'm gonna be able to watch my wife just screaming and writhing in pain the entire process i don't know man i don't know i don't have any uh I do not have any advice for you here. Don't, From don't. the 913, my wife had to be struck five times. They had to bring in backup to ultimately get the epidural done. Oh, my God. I would say it. And I say this as somebody who has not been in that position, but I would imagine at that point you are in as much pain with the epidural as you are by just going with the natural birth, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You five of them. Five. If you have to get five epidurals. I am sorry for everything that us men have put you through, women. Um, You don't deserve any of that, but I understand it is the miracle of life. This is just this this these next weeks are going to be 
hell for me because I'm just going to stress out the entire time. Under no circumstances would I recommend complaining that you have a head cold during her labor. <laughs> okay, so don't complain about anything like, hey, it's a little cold in here. Can we turn the heat up? Also, somebody says, do not bring snacks because she can't eat and she's going to kill you if you eat in front of her. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually good that's advice. That's a really good one. Um, and the other one says, uh, hold her hand, but beware of the death grip. My hand was bruised for a week after our first I birth. saw that. Somebody said, use your off hand when you're letting her squeeze your hand. And that's the other thing. You got to like know the breathing process and when to tell her to breathe and not breathe. I cannot give advice for this. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm able pregnancy partner right now that's what i'm concerned about i feel like there's there's a lot of people that are giving you the the advice of do not look but you're probably going to end up looking well and that's the thing like jamie told us a couple of months ago he's like oh you have to look he's like i watched all of mine and it was beautiful i can't do that i think that you're going to no i never saw i never got the like pregnancy video in high school they never showed me that i didn't i have never seen how this process works well you're about to see it buddy no i'm about to live it <laughs> which scares the hell out of me it's coming you have no choice you've signed up for this there is no backing out now no there's not there's not <laughs> there is no way to back well, out and my wife did the ultimate like uh the ultimate move she said well if you don't do it my mom will do it and then it's like yeah that uh, uh, that's probably not going to go over well for the future of you and I. So I will make sure that I am in there and the most supportive husband that you'll have. Just look her in the eyes and say you're welcome. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's Stay going to behind her shoulders, dude, the entire time. Do not move. OK, that's the best advice I can get in all of this. If you guys have any more advice for Alex Ferrario as he's going through the delivery process, Keep you're what, coming. six weeks away now, eight weeks away, eight weeks away, yep. probably six weeks, probably away. six weeks because she's got gestational diabetes. So might be coming early. So he needs all of the advice that he can get at all this of point it after what we just talked about. And we're going to get plenty of stories throughout <laughs> the coming weeks. I oh, can yeah. promise you that with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN coming up next. It's blues opening night. Let's dive into some blues quick hitters. Do you agree that Zach Sanford is actually a regression candidate? Some of the national outlets are suggesting that. And where will the blues power play unit ultimately finish this season? We'll get into those and a couple more quick hitters for the blues coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some blues quick hitters. Anything to stop talking about the pregnancy stuff, please. It is officially opening night for the Blues. You'll hear all of the action right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN pregame coverage beginning at 830. But we've got extended pregame basically tonight. This week in hockey starts at six right after the fast lane. So from six to 830, you've got this week in hockey with you and Joey Vitale, right? Yeah. So the first hour is going to be Joey and I. We're going to talk with Darren Pang and Chris Kerber. And then basically from seven to 830, it's going to be a lot of stuff that we've had these last week. Like the seven to eight hour is you and I previewing the division with Colorado and Vegas and Minnesota and Arizona. And then from 8 to 8.30, you'll hear from Braden Chen, who was on the fast lane, and Kevin Weeks, who joined us. Fantastic. So that's all coming up from 6 to 8.30 to get you ready for the regular season. Blues versus Avalanche pregame. The true pregame coverage starts at 8.30, and then we will have all of the action, the game itself, right here on 101 ESPN right thereafter. So right now, let's dive into some quick hitting conversations about the Blues. Let's start with this. I read over on The Athletic yesterday that they believe Zach Sanford is a regression candidate. 
for the Blues. He was on the O'Reilly Perron line last year. Now he's on the third line with Bozak and Cairo. And according to this article on The Athletic, it is cause for concern. They said Sanford notched eight of his 14 goals and 16 of his overall 30 points while playing on that O'Reilly line. This is a clear case of a potential regression candidate. Do you agree with that, Ferrario? I definitely don't think he's going to be the best he can be if he wasn't on that line with O'Reilly and Perron. Like, if he was on that line, he'd be much better than what sure. he's going to be this season. But I do think that the coaching staff has shown that there's confidence in Zach Sanford. This kid put on nine pounds of muscle in the offseason because he knows he has to be a power forward. This kid has a, a incredible shot. Like, he has a snipe shot if he has to take it. And he plays physical. I think... You're losing some of the playmaking ability playing with O'Reilly and Perron, but you're also gaining more knowledge playing with Tyler Bozak. And if Jordan Cairo is as good as he's been in these scrimmages and training camps, I think there's going to be a lot of offense there. So I don't know if he's going to hit 16 goals this season, but I would imagine you're going to be looking at somewhere between 8 to 12 goals, which in a normal season, it's probably about the 15 to 16 number. Yeah, I, I was about to say, I feel like he could... I my expectations for him personally, I think right around that 12 to 15 range mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm I'm thinking that he's going to be at this year. It's definitely going to be a blow for him to not be with Ryan O'Reilly because O'Reilly's one of the best players in the league right now. Right. So it, it will probably take him back a notch from there. But I still expect him to have a productive season. He's only 26 years old. He's basically had two full seasons now in the NHL. He should be getting ready to reach his prime and this that should start this year. And going into next year as well. And I think he's going to have a good year for the Blues. Yeah, I think he, he's going to be an important player. He told me last year when he started to play well and he started to score those goals in kind of a, a group, he said, I'm learning how to put more confidence in myself at game time. So I think he took what he learned from playing with O'Reilly, and I think it's going to generate onto the ice with this new line. So next thing that I wanted to discuss him in NHL, or Blues rather, quick hitters. Are the Blues right for putting Mike Hoffman on the right wing with Thomas and Schwartz because we've talked a lot about how it's a a really good fit, at least in our opinions. But whenever they first signed him, we thought it was probably going to be Hoffman on the left wing with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Right. Now that we know how these are going to ultimately shake out, at least to start out the year for Ario, do you think that this is the right configuration for the top six with O'Reilly, Perron, Shin on that top line, and then Schwartz, Hoffman, and Thomas on that second line? I, I understand when you look at it and you think you could divvy it up and you have the put a Sanford, I would imagine, on that second line with O'Reilly and Perron, and then shift Hoffman down to a third line with Bozak and Cairo but it doesn't give you the offensive punch that it does right now. And I do believe this third line is going to be effective, but your first two lines, I'll take those against a lot of top lines in the NHL right now, specifically in your division. I mean, let's look at Avalanche, for example, tonight. Their top line, I would imagine, is going to be McKinnon, Duchenne, not Duchenne, uh, McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen. Like, that's the perfection line they like to call, like Boston's. I will match that up with O'Reilly Perron and Schwartz any day of the week. Shen. Or Shen, yes, because that's a reliable defensive line that can create offense. But then my secondary line of Thomas and Hoffman and Schwartz, that's going to create a lot of offense. So would you like to have more depth on the third line? Maybe, but I think Sanford and Cairo are being overlooked with what they can contribute this year. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. I understand the one thing that I do agree with Jeremy Rutherford, who mentioned this, there are some questions about the face-off opportunities with that second line with Thomas Schwartz and Hoffman. I think Thomas will get there, but right now he just doesn't have a ton of opportunities in the NHL on the dot. So that's one thing that I think is worth monitoring 
if that ends up being a problem, mm-hmm. maybe they can move Shin down there. And especially on face-off opportunities, yeah. he just slides over. You flip Schwartz and Shen in that then. Pretty easy to do, but that would be the one thing that I could see happening. All right, next thing up. Where will the Blues power play unit ultimately finish this season, Ferrario? I know you've been really high on these groups, and yep. you are certainly not alone. It is justified. When we come to the end of the regular season, where do you think the Blues power play unit will ultimately rank? Number one. I really do. The only caveat with this is the chemistry. How does this chemistry work with Hoffman and Krug on a new unit where the other three guys are used to Petrangelo, used to Tarasenko, but I don't think that matters on the power play. It's about positioning and puck possession. And I wrote this down after this last scrimmage BK on Sunday this past weekend, and I said the entrances to the zone on the power play have probably been at an all-time high because last year, if you remember correctly, the Blues had to do an awful lot of dumping and chasing yes. rather than getting into the zone and setting up. Tory Krug solves that problem completely because he is one of the best at entering the zone and getting set up at the blue line. From there, think of this. O'Reilly's going to be in front of that net, and O'Reilly has been working on basically getting the puck on his stick and jamming it into the goaltender. You have the one-time shots of Perron and Hoffman on the wings, and then, if I'm not mistaken, you will have Braden Shen out there as well on that number one unit. And that's another guy who will go to the front of the net. And then your second unit has plenty of weapons on it. And Pareko and Dunn and Schwartz and Thomas and whoever they use there. Bozak, Sanford. This is going to be the number one power play unit at the end of the regular season. And again, I'm going to stick with my thought. I think this will be the number one in franchise history because last year's was number two. I think it's going to finish top three at, at the least. They, they just have too much talent, and I trust Montgomery's coaching too much for them not to be in that spot. I heard this on the fast lane the other day, and I don't remember who it was that said it, and I apologize for not giving credit where it's due. But they talked about Tory Krug being really good at getting through the neutral zone mm-hmm. and setting up the power play quickly. Yeah. And that being something that's going to be different this year for them, it just saves them time, right? You've got, let's say it's two minutes, right? A minor penalty. You've got two minutes. They spent so much time trying to get things set up last year, and then they would try to get the right shot. And now you're down a minute. You've got one minute to go. And now if the first set doesn't work, well, you're done. Mm-hmm. The power play is essentially over. Yeah. This year, they're going to get through the neutral zone quicker. They can get set up. And then it's the quick, crisp passes and the one-time opportunities. And between all of that, it's just it sets up to be a potentially crisper. I think that's the right word for it. Crisper power play unit this year. And I'm looking forward to watching it. Hopefully we see that quite a bit tonight. I'm going to say top three by the end of the season at the least. It was just too predictable in the past. And then right now, as Kevin Weeks told us last week, it is to the point where a goaltender is going to be looking over shoulders each time because they don't know where it's going to go. He is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. A little bit of news to pass along to you guys from the NBA. Rockets head coach Steven Silas says that James Harden was not a practice today. Quote, we felt it was best for the group that James not come to practice in quote. Um, there is also a report from Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated that the teams involved in the James Harden talks are getting indications that the Rockets are prepared to move quickly towards a deal, possibly as soon as today. Adrian Wojnarowski adding to this report that the Rockets are planning to keep Harden away from the team until a trade is ultimately complete with front offices weighing best final offers from Brooklyn and Philadelphia. The process is moving very quickly now. So. It seems if you're reading between the lines, you don't even have to do a lot of reading between the lines here. It seems like by the end of the week, at a minimum, 
James Harden will either be on the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that we are quickly moving towards that. So, man, that's what a brutal time right now for Houston sports. Yeah, I was going to say, it sucks to be Houston fans right now. Um, it, Houston's talks with the Sixers and Nets gathered momentum in recent days. Harden's new news conference on Tuesday night was not indicative of that, but it is just another shot at that, that occurred, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. So this thing could move quickly. James Harden, it sounds like, is going to be on the move. It's all at one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up here in just about 30 minutes or so, AJ Molesko will be joining the show. NBC NHL analyst, she's going to join us coming up at one thirty. But coming up next, I was listening to the Fast Lane yesterday. And BT said something that I was like, huh, I don't know if I agree with that or not. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think it's more imperative, honestly, now than ever in, in baseball of the the building and having that superstar. Because like, think about signing a multi-year contract, right, uh, of giving a guy, and we'll just use a, a $25 million AAV. And I think the highest AAV for a shortstop right now is $20 million. I, if I'm going to extend into the future, you know that part of that $25 million, you're paying for what a player has done in the past, right? It's a hell of a lot easier to do that when you got some of the value as opposed to some other club getting the value. That was BT yesterday over on the fast land. It's hard to disagree with anything he said there. I do think, though, he, they were talking at that time on the fast lane, and you can check out the full podcast, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by I Promise. They were talking about Ben Fredrickson's column about the Francisco Lindor trade, and basically Ben Fred said on the, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that this is the kind of deal that the Cardinals used to make. Getting that young superstar that is about to hit free agency, they bring him in for a year, he gets to see how great it is to play in St. Louis, they ultimately re-sign him, and they move forward with that guy being a potential franchise player. I tend to agree with what Ben Fred said in his column. The fast lane didn't seem to agree with that and that's perfectly fine we can all have uh friendly disagreements on subjects like this i i went back to 2005 because that's in the middle of that run in the in the early 2000s to look at where the cardinals were then and how the cardinals can get back to being that team right that's coming off of the 04 world series right before 06 and this is when the roster in my opinion was kind of at its peak in terms of the talent that was on the roster Cardinals in 2005 had the sixth highest payroll in all of baseball. They had Scott Rowland, Jim Edmonds, Albert Pujols, Larry Walker. They were loaded with talent that year. And for anybody that says that they can't go make these types of moves, here's why I would disagree with you. It's because they did. Larry Walker was the 21st highest paid player in baseball that year. The modern equivalent in terms of the 21st current highest paid player in baseball is J.D. Martinez. He's making $24 million. Scott Rowland. 29th highest paid baseball and play, uh, baseball player in the league that year. The modern equivalent would basically be Paul Goldschmidt making 21 million now. Albert Pools, 31st highest paid player in baseball. The modern equivalent is Freddie Freeman making 21. And Jim Edmonds was the 43rd highest paid player in baseball that year. The modern equivalent would be Yadier Molina making 20 million dollars right now. The difference for the Cardinals, the reason why they're in this spot isn't that they are unwilling or unable to make the big moves or that they are unwilling or unable to pay the big dollars. It is who they're paying those dollars to right now. We've talked about this before, Ferrario, but I would just, if I'm the Blues, or excuse me, if I'm the Cardinals, be completely out on paying big time relievers. 
Andrew Miller doesn't have a massive purpose on this team going into next season. I don't know why you hate Millsy, but okay. But he's making $12 million between Andrew Miller and whether you want it to be Matt Carpenter or Dexter Fowler, one of those two, whoever. Those two guys would be making a combined $30 million. Well, there's your superstar, that, but you're missing that superstar right now because you currently have those other guys on the team instead. So the Cardinals are missing on their evaluations and Stalter harps on this all the time, right? It's not about the money. It's about the evaluations. There's some truth in that. They're, they're signing the wrong guys. They're extending the wrong guys. And then they're going into free agency and getting these mid tier players. And that ultimately ends up being spending incorrectly. It's not the Cardinals don't spend, like 12th in baseball in spending most seasons. That's pretty good. That's that's better than their market size would indicate that they should be. They spend okay. It's about where they're spending. And that's what my frustration is right now is these are the guys that you spend it on. Guys like Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, the superstar talents that become available, those are where you spend, not in this mid-tier market. And the part that gets me is I hear that and then think, okay, but when you look at the front office at the time, it was a different mentality, right? Like the teams that you just mentioned in the roster was Walt Jockety. And Walt Jockety was the... I'm going to go out and I'm going to trade and spend money for players. Look at Jim Edmonds. Jim Edmonds was a very good player in L.A. at the time, but he wasn't valued like he was valued once he hit St. Louis. So it was kind of a trade of a guy who needed a change of scenery, evaluating talent. Scott Rowland, bad situation in Philadelphia. It seemed like things were broken up, went to St. Louis, rejuvenated his career. Bad eva- or Great evaluation, bad evaluation on the Philly side. And then you look at... The Larry Walker one. Larry Walker tail end of his career. He retired after St. Louis. That, that was that was getting a guy who was at the end of his career. You're spending. So was mu- Carlos Beltran, by the way. Exactly. That was kind of the similar thing, right? That's kind of what I equate that to. But it's not. They haven't gone out there and gotten that superstar. They haven't gone to free agency and said this is the number one guy and he were on our team. And you start to wonder, we talked earlier about, you know, 2012, 13 was when you started to see Beltron as that turnover from pools. I wonder if that's when the mentality changed because you had all of that roster carried over. still. you still had the Pujols, the Roland, the Edmonds that transitioned into the Lance Berkmans and the Matt Holidays. Credit to John Mosaic. He made the trade for Matt Holiday. But once the Pujols was gone, it felt like it was back to, okay, well, we got to find this guy and we got to do this through the draft rather than go spend money in the offseason. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. I think this is a good point. Signing superstars one at a time, five years apart, like Holiday and Goldschmidt, for example, doesn't help. You need to overlap for at least a few years. That's kind of what we've been talking a lot about, right? You can't just have the one guy in the middle of your order. You've got to have multiple of those guys. I also wonder, when you look back to those 2000s, I just mentioned in 05, they had the sixth highest paid, uh, highest payroll in all of baseball, and they had a bunch of dudes that were among the top 40 in terms of the highest paid players in the, in the league. Out of that, we personally view that as a huge success, right? The 2000s, 04, 06, huge success. I wonder how the Cardinals, the front office, the ownership group, I wonder how they viewed the 2000s, because obviously it is a successful era of Cardinals baseball, no matter how you old, no matter how you want to look at that. Right. But they they did just get those two appearances in the World Series. And I do wonder if you if you put them on truth serum, would they rather build the way that they are right now? Because it is 
cheaper and easier and you you don't have to have those long-term concerns the way that the, you you could if you end up getting tied to some of these big time players i i would wonder if you if you could have some truth serum i wonder how the cardinals front office and ownership group viewed those early 2000s and whether or not it was worth it to spend up to that that amount of money again it's the transition from front office staff i do wonder what john mozalak views it as right like how do you view what Walt Jockety did and did it set a bad tone? Because at the end of the day, the ownership was still the same. What changed from wanting to spend all of that money and go get those players with the DeWitt side to, okay, well, now let's build through the draft and get these younger players that turn into core pieces? That would be a question I'd like to ask with Truth Serum, too. What changed in that mentality? Because you weren't taking a financial hit because the Cardinals were the number one team in town, and it felt like they were the number one team in all of baseball with Albert Pujols and Roland and Edmonds. But what changed in that time frame from winning World Series, going to the World Series, then making it to the World Series, going to the NLCS is an awful lot, and then missing the postseason? What changed in that time frame? And for me, it goes back to what I said. It felt like it was chasing the tail of finding another Albert Pujols to start the process over again. Well, it's interesting, right? Because from 2001 to 2011, you basically go you go to three World Series. If you, I think the real kind of stopping point there, though, would be 2010. But regardless, right. you go to three World Series, you win two of them. From 2012 to where we are today, they went to one World Series, but they have gone to four. They've gone to the NLCS four times, right? They've missed the playoffs a total of three times in that span. They missed the playoffs four times between 2001 and 2011. So they missed the playoffs more often in that stretch of Cardinals baseball, but they also won at the highest level more often. So it really becomes a question of what do you what do you value more, right? Do you value the peaks that also may come with some valleys or do you value the consistency? Do you value winning 90 games every season, getting to the playoffs almost every season, being able to compete in the NL Central every year? I value the peaks more. That is my personal preference. As long as it doesn't come with some huge valleys, right? I don't want to see the Cardinals end up with 70 wins for three straight years. That sucks to watch as a viewer. But I do value personally the peaks a little bit more. And I I wonder how the Cardinals current front office, current ownership group would do that. And I think you're going to get a big answer when it comes to next off season with those free agents that are out there. If you see Trevor Story go somewhere else, or if you see Carlos Correa, Javi Baez, if you see all these agents are these names come off the boards and the Cardinals are sitting there with their hands in their pockets, I think you've gotten your answer. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The blue season officially begins tonight. AJ Malesko is going to be on the call for NHL on NBC. She's going to join us to talk about this matchup between the blues and the avalanche coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to be joined via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line by AJ Malesko, Olympic gold medalist, NHL on NBC analyst. She will be on the call tonight for Blues versus the Avalanche. 9.30 start time on that one over on NBC Sports Network. AJ, always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I am doing just great. Thank you guys for having me. And how excited are we that hockey is back today? Well, let's go ahead and start there. How excited are you, AJ, that (laughs) hockey is officially back as of today? 
I am really excited. I'm currently actually in the car headed down. I live in Massachusetts. I'm driving down to the NBC studios in Stamford, Connecticut, where I will be on the call with Brendan Burke tonight. Um, but I am I am really excited. It's been, you know, I was thrilled that the league and the NHLPA was able to pull off the bubble hockey that we saw in August and September and was thrilled to be a part of that coverage. And then, of course, it's been three and a half months of long layoff and been very fortunate, actually, that my kids have been on the ice for the most part with a few pauses here and there. Um, but again, you know, it's been, been long enough. I think everybody's excited and I know it's going to be unpredictable and we're going to have to all be patient and flexible but in whatever form they can give it to us i'm just excited to see some live nhl hockey hey aj i'm curious what's this season going to be like on the nbc side without the uh the voice himself doc emmerich oh man it is tough to imagine it uh imagine this season without doc emmerich just the greatest and i've said it before but he is a better human being than he is a broadcaster and that's saying a lot because we all know what a phenomenal man he is in the booth um i'm happy and thrilled for him and his wife joyce he gets some retirement some time at home i know he's still going to be doing some stuff for nbc i believe he is the voice of the the tease, the open um, for the whole season tonight. Yeah. So we will at least have a little bit, a little taste of the great Doc Emmerich. But, uh, you know, I also feel fortunate that NBC has a really, really deep bench of play-by-play voices. Uh, you know, Kenny Albert is still there. John Forslund is still there. And you got Brendan Burke and uh, John Walton and uh, Mike Tirico is filling in. So there are lots and lots of people and, and great people that will be uh, able to fill, maybe not fill his shoes, but at least... <laughs> do a pretty good job as well aj at this point i feel like it's almost old hat for you guys to be broadcasting these games from afar not actually being in the environment in the arena but what is that like for you as somebody who's who's trying to get a good grasp for what for what the what is taking place on the ice of course but also the feel for the game what's it like for you having to analyze these games from afar i don't like it so i do think we're getting used to it uh, but it is not it's not easy, uh, and it's, it is definitely frustrating to not be there and see the play with my own eyes and also get to choose what I look at. And uh, there are great camera operators out there and obviously the, the production trucks that give us great pictures that we see at home. But for me to be on site and be able to look at the part of the ice that I want to see and look at how the plays develop, that's frustrating. I've had to certainly adjust. Um, and sometimes I'll call games with partners who are on site or, for example, in this summer I would call games with Kenny Albert with at Edmonton and I'm in Stanford. So there's a whole different dynamic there where you're not even in the same time zone, let alone the same arena. Um, so there are challenges. We've gotten very used to it. And, and again, you know, working with NBC, they have – uh, they have great technology and they have great people in these in place to put a, out a really smooth broadcast, make our jobs as easy as possible, while also keeping us safe during this COVID pandemic, which is obviously the most important. Hey, AJ, this is an interesting season for me. And I said this earlier today, and maybe it's the ultimate optimist in me, but this feels like it's the transition to getting back to normal. And, you know, the bubble play, it was great to have hockey back, but it didn't feel like real hockey. Like you got to go back to March before the pause where you felt like that real hockey was there. And it finally feels that way now. And I know we don't have fans in the stadium, but you look at this season and projecting maybe by postseason, we could have fans back and next year be back to regular. See, it feels like we're transitioning back to normal and hockey's the, the forefront of it. Uh, I hope you're right. I do feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines being distributed and some of these things starting to get back to normal, the NBA being back. Um, I think football season unfold the way it did, obviously, with, with a bunch of hiccups here and there, but they got, they're got they getting the season done. 
So, you know, I, I agree with you. And with hockey being able to get back in home arenas, uh, with the exception, I guess, of uh, San Jose right now, um, for these teams to be able to play without fans, but still to be able to play at home, I think you're right. It will it will give a little sense of normalcy for these guys to wake up, go to a morning skate, go back home to their house or wherever they live and have their whole pregame routine, be able to be with their family, be with their loved ones. I mean, that can't be underestimated how difficult it was for the guys who went the long haul through the bubble. Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning probably isn't complaining since they got the cup <laughs> at the end. But, you, get, you know, you think about Dallas Stars, they went all the way to the bitter end and fell just short of that ultimate goal. And that's, that's really challenging for these guys. So, you know, I think that there is an element that is good there. I, I do – I like the divisional realignment. Obviously not for good and not permanently, but just trying to get the game back, trying to – trying to get us back on the rails. I think it's going to be really exciting to have these these eight-game series against these rivals. And you look at the Western Conference and you see St. Louis and you see Colorado and you see Vegas, the three favorites. The fact that they get to play each other eight times is really, really exciting. And again, eventually when you get to have fans in the stands, that will make it even better. Uh, but I think they're, they're inching closer. And the fact that the travel may be a little bit less based on the way that they've set up the schedule um, may may help some of these players as well. We're talking to AJ Malesko, NHL on NBC analyst. She's joining us here on 101 ESPN. AJ, let's talk about this matchup. Colorado versus St. Louis tonight. You've got the call on NBC Sports Network. Puck drops at 930. I don't know how much you guys have been able to talk to the coaches, players. I don't know if you've done any of that yet, but what are you expecting between these two teams? I mean, if you look at any of the projections, these are two of the top three teams within the Western Division. What are you looking forward to tonight in this particular matchup? Well, by the way, you asked some of the challenges we face being remote, and that's one of the biggest ones is not being able to talk to the players, not being able to talk to the coaches. Now, even if we were on site, I'm not sure that the media is allowed in the locker room anyway due to COVID protocols. So it is, a, it is hard to, to prepare for these games without – especially without having game tape to watch, right? I mean, this is the first game of the season, which is super exciting, but also everything's new. So what do I expect? I mean, a clash of the Titans. These two teams are built. They're, they're similar in a lot of ways in the sense that they both boast incredibly deep talent, right? I mean, one to four lines are so strong. Um, they've got great center depth, a lot of them, especially look at St. Louis. I know that's something that Doug Armstrong has prided himself on, building that team from the center out. Uh, you know, losing Petrangelo obviously is, is a huge hole for you guys for the St. Louis Blues to fill. Uh, but I, I really like the pieces that are in place for the Blues. Um, and I like the way that I think for a, a Craig Berube coach team, they have all the elements and the way that he he forms their identity and he forms their right off the bat, their forechecking mentality, they're hanging on to pucks, all those things. But, again, they're facing off against arguably the best player in the world. And I, right now I would say Nathan McKinnon is the best player in the world, the way he plays, the way he competes, and he's incredibly skilled. So the St. Louis Blues were going to have their hands full with him. And then you add Brandon Saad, who, who scored a ton of goals for the Chicago Blackhawks in the past. So I, I do expect a physical series. Now, again, maybe the game in two days will be a little more physical. When you, you know, as you get down the eight-game series, it'll get more and more heated. Uh, but I expect, I expect both teams to be flying. These guys are excited to be back just as we're excited to have them back. So, AJ, I want to ask you about Tori Krug. Um, and for those of you who don't know listening, AJ does uh, television work with the New York Islanders, who, of course, play in the Eastern Conference. So, AJ, you've seen a lot of Tory Krug in his career in Boston. What are people not what – do, what don't people know about Tory Krug's game that they're going to find out in St. Louis? 
well, also just I, I live in Boston, so I've seen a lot of Tory Crews. Yeah. And my kids are all huge, uh, huge Bruins fans, so they are very sad to see Chara go to Washington and very sad to see Tory. Oh, well, tell head, them to come on to over to guys. St. Louis, AJ. <laughs> tell <laughs> them the Blues fans. We'll get jerseys for them. Uh, I mean, I can. T- I remember when Tory Crews signed. He came into the Bruins as an undrafted free agent, and you know, it's unknown coming out of Michigan State. And he took the Bruins playoffs by storm. And I actually remember talking to people and thinking, why do they have him on defense? He's got so much offensive upside, and he was scoring goals. I mean, he came in, um, and he, I think he had four goals that that playoff series as a def- as a very undersized defenseman. Um, but I think what people maybe don't know about him yet, or maybe they do, but I, I think what came as a surprise to people when they watched the team is that he's not a liability defensively, and he is very, very smart, and he uses his size. So he obviously he was playing with uh, – last year I think he was playing with Brandon Carlo, who's about the same size as Pareko, um, but he also has Char on the team. So he, so he was able to utilize his feet. He was able to utilize his smarts, and he really sees the game. And if you watch him, he actually doesn't skate backwards a whole lot. He's always skating forwards. And so he's always sort of – he's like hurting um, his opponent out wide and he's very smart in the way that he does that he's a very active defenseman um and obviously i mean this is not people he comes in well well known for this but his power play acumen is is phenomenal i mean he just walks back and forth on that blue line and his vision and and the way he he distributes the puck is um in the league i would say She's A.J. Malesko, Olympic gold medalist, NHL on NBC analyst. You'll catch her on the call tonight if you're watching the game over on NBC Sports. Now, 9.30, puck drop for that one. A.J., sincerely appreciate the time. Always appreciate it. All the best to you and the fam. We look forward to watching you tonight on the call. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great season. Absolutely. Same to you. That is A.J. Malesko joining us here on 101 ESPN. Loved what she said there about Tori Krug at the end. I... He's the guy out of all of the players on the ice tonight for the Blues Ferrario. He's the one that I'm most excited to see, which might sound obvious because he's the big ticket addition that they've yeah. made. But for you, who's that guy? Is is it Tory Krug? It's Tory Krug. I, and that's why I asked her that question because, look, we know Tory Krug is an offensive guy. People don't understand that this guy is a very good defensive player. And that's why I brought it up because, I mean, she's she's seen against him. She's cheered for him because she's a Bruins fan. This guy's good defensively. So, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see him and what he and Pareko can do on the ice because I truly believe it's not going to be what Petrangelo was, but I truly believe those two can provide something that Petrangelo wasn't able to provide here. Yeah, it's going to be different, but it, it can still be Might pretty be better, darn good. different. Yeah, could be pretty darn good. Uh, I do want to pass along a couple of things for you. Uh, updates for the Blues. Peter Baugh, who is the avalanche beat writer for The Athletic, has put out the Blues lines and pairings. It's basically as expected. Shin O'Reilly Perron, Schwartz Thomas Hoffman, Sanford Bozak, Kairou. So Kairou is in tonight, it appears, on that third line. Clifford Barbashev and Sunquist as your fourth line tonight. Krug with Pareko, Scandella with Falk, and Dunn and Bortuzzo. Bennington going to be starting in net, it appears, for tonight as expected. So basically what you expected to see going into tonight, but a little bit of confirmation there on Jordan Kairou. Also, an interesting quote from Craig Berube as he was talking with the media a little bit ago, according to Jeremy Rutherford. Burby said about Colorado and Vegas being favored in the West quote. I'm not going to worry about who's picking Vegas or Colorado. They're both great teams. They deserve it. We're fine being where we're at. We'll go and show them on the ice. That's all we can do. Okay. I'm, I'm amped up even more. Let's do this. That is Alex Ferrario. Yes. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. <laughs> 
the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Brandon Kylie, it is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the fast lane, Anthony Stalter in studio. Stoltz, what's good, man? Got blues hockey tonight, boys. Damn right oh, yeah. we do, Stoltz. Ferrario's in a jacket. He looks good. A little sports coat. We are ready to go. You got a tie? I don't have a tie. Oh, jeez. Oh, come on, come on, Stoltz. Come on. I guess come it's on. opening night. the expectations yeah. too high. Yeah. It's opening who wears, night. Who wears ties around Maybe here? Maybe by game four, he'll have a tie on. Tell you what, Stoltz, if they win tonight, I'll have a tie on for you on Friday. I like it. Deal. How's that? John Hamm coming up today at 415 with you guys. Great get by you, by the way. Thank you. Called his agent. Yep. Uh, Called him directly. That's Joe, what you did. Yeah, Joe. Your celebrity status is what got John Hamm on here. Jamie booked him. I didn't. I didn't Damn have anything. It. I didn't have anything to. I didn't even know if his agent's name is Joe. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, first question today: Close John Ham, Jermaine, agent's name Joe. Yeah, there you go. Massive Blues fan. Looking John forward Hamm. to that. Very excited. What else do you guys have coming up today? Me, Jamie. Okay. BT. It's fantastic. And me. That doesn't get a party horn. Why not? Because he dropped the ball yesterday on the gauntlet. Yes, he did. That was trash. That was trash, Meat. Whoa. How do you not know that Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> oh, Meat. How from do you the not hallway. know that Wolf of Wall Street has the most F bombs? I'm sorry. Okay. Actually, that is a pretty well known fact. <laughs> it's I trash. didn't hear it yesterday. One message. It's trash. <laughs> you can't talk trash if you can't back it up, Meat. That's not great. You probably got to get that one. Yeah, right. Charles, Charles was, uh, boy, he was confident yesterday. Yes, he was. He was slinging arrows. He slung my Meat, took him down. Slung at me. Never sling the meat. Said he was coming for Jamie today. We'll yeah, see what happens, man. He called out Jamie. Yeah, Jamie this, can't lose hockey trivia on Blues oh, opening night. If though, he that's loses, not gonna happen. Well, I, full, I've, I have full confidence in Jamie Rivers yeah, that he, he he's putting an end into this. There's Charles no doubt. called you the weakest opponent, too. Second weakest. Who was the weakest? Me. Well, he backed that up. Yeah. Well. Yeah, he's, Stalter's the second uh, weakest. Um, <laughs> A little bit of news pass along from the NBA. Rockets coach Steven Silas says, said earlier today that James Harden did not attend practice. Uh, it looks like this is probably going to get done. The Rockets are appearing to get pretty close with the trade with the Philadelphia 76ers. It seems like James Harden probably by the end of the day is going to be on the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. I can't see you. I can't believe this. Good man. See ya. This is. Did you see that press conference? It last was night? terrible. Yeah. It's, it's embarrassing. And John Wall, I thought John Wall, hey, you can be it. You can be in my locker locker room. Yep. John Wall, not my locker. Well, you could be in my you locker, You could be too. in a locker. I don't it's know if you're a fit there. That's a bully a, move, NBA, too. NBA player. No, you, you, John Wall, you can, you can be a leader. James Harden, you cannot. I'm sorry. No. You're not, you're not a leader. What else, what else? He's is a losing it, player. What else do the Houston Rockets need, need, need to do to set you up for success? They've gotten him three point guards. They got him Chris Paul, who was a great acquisition, didn't work. They got him Russell Westbrook, great addition, didn't work. And now you get John Wall. And you're not even going back far enough. Dwight Howard, they also brought in to be able to pair with him as well. They've, yes. they, every time he they've wanted built, a superstar yeah. to be next to him, they brought him in. Every time he wanted those superstars to be shipped out, they decided to ship him out for them. This time doing so, it, they shipped out Chris Paul when they knew this was going to be a bad decision right. because Chris Paul is a better player yep. than and Russell Westbrook, they, but 
they didn't get along with him and Harden. And so they were like, okay, we'll make this work with you and Russell Westbrook, but this better work because right. it's on you now. And it didn't. And it didn't. And, then you and want, so they ship he, him out. Yeah, and they now want he Westbrook wants out, out as well. You know, that that team that won, I don't know what it was off the top of my head, 65 games or whatever it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. That was his best team. Why? Because the other four guys were fine with defending, mm-hmm. which is what he doesn't want to do. Right. He just wants to shoot. Okay, no problem. So we're we're gonna we're gonna stack the floor with guys like Chris Paul and Capella and these other guys. They're they're gonna play defense. They're, they're gonna compliment you. That's what we're gonna do. Oh, you don't want Chris Paul anymore because Chris Paul's an actual leader. Mm-hmm. Fine. Okay. Was Russell Westbrook? Russ wants to compete at the highest levels. You can say what you want about Westbrook. I know that you know some national guys don't necessarily love him. He's a competitor. Oh, you don't want him. You, you okay? We ship him off. You want who? John Wall. Sure. Okay. And then you say last night, uh, I'm sorry, it's not fixable. And yeah, you can't do anything about this. And then just leave the press conference. You're right. It's not fixable. Well, it is. You are the problem. Go to Philadelphia now. And congrats if he he does go to the Sixers. Here's the thing. You're not going to win either. If he goes to the Sixers, it's the same problem because they got a bunch of guys who want to shoot and score. Joel Embiid is the same thing. Like Embiid is the same guy as as James Harden. And if he goes to Brooklyn, well, guess what? Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant they look awesome offensively, but who's gonna who's gonna pass the ball in that sense? We'll see when Kyrie ultimately even plays for that team. Yeah, no kidding. That's a whole other story. Not not that Pop would want him, but I almost want I almost want Houston. So you know what? You're going to go play for uh, Popovich in San Antonio. Again, Pop wouldn't want him. Do you think? He changes that. him though, but I wonder if Pop is like Dude. send him to send his ass to Minnesota. F- find out where the best trade is for you, the team, not for James Harden. He, you don't want to break Carl Anthony Towns though by having that mentality in there. Well, I mean, uh, Car- d- does Pop change him though? Like uh, realistically, no. no. Harden is who he is. So sometimes going into a good culture doesn't change a player, and it, it doesn't change a person. Sometimes a player is just who he is. That's who James Harden is. He, he wants to play James ball. He doesn't want to play basketball. He, he plays James ball, and that's it. The sad part is, is he a Hall of Famer in your eyes? Yes. That's Probably. The, that's the sad part. He's one of the best scorers ever. Yeah. For better or worse. By the way, why don't we do that with, with basketball players like we do with the NFL? Like, if you haven't won, like, if you haven't won, if you're a quarterback and you haven't won in the NFL, you're yeah. basically pawn scum. Yeah. But if... Philip Rivers. If you're... You in know, the well, NBA. Dan Marino. Like, yeah. Dan, oh, Dan Marino, what did he win? The guy was incredible. <laughs> But with the NBA, it's like, no, nah, Hall of Famer, no, he's still good. Yeah. Like, oh, you put up you win 10,000 points, you're in. You didn't win a title. Yeah. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, the uh, the man that is speaking for professionalism, of course, because oh. that's how this works. That's good. He has spoken to the media. He said, my interest in playing with John Wall, to be brutally honest, the hardened disrespect started way before. This isn't something that started all of a sudden last night. It's completely unfair to the rest of the guys in the locker room. Yeah. When DeMarcus Cousins, Boogie Cousins is the guy that's coming out saying you are unprofessional. That's when you know you've officially jumped the shark. Absolutely. Salt, we're looking forward to the fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. We will be back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Blues coverage throughout the evening right here on 101 ESPN. This week in hockey at 6. Pre-game for Blues versus Avalanche at 8.30. Excited to listen to Alex Ferrario on the pre-game and post-game show tonight. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mmm been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I promise.